Good afternoon, Evan. Hello. We are so, waiting on uh, Gerald. Yeah, I'm a little confused on what we're doing with this episode entirely because one day you said it was we're going to talk about the whole riots and the situation, all that, and then all of a sudden you said we're going to be talking about Lock and Key, which I still haven't watched. <laughs> There's Gerald. Yes, uh, we will get to the riots. Um, Gerald's friend Nick is going to be joining in on that. Um, he should be on the way. So in the interim, we're going to talk about Lock and Key and the last two episodes of No Game, No Life. Okay, I'm completely unfamiliar with No Game, No Life, and I haven't watched Lock and Key. So does that mean we're just doing a brief one so that we make the main focus of the episode, the riots, or while we wait for everyone else to join in? or We're waiting for everyone else we're to join in. Okay. And uh, what an episode that was, but we'll get to that. Um, welcome to Gaming Sessions. I am, of course, David, aka Vincent DB82. I have my friend from the next town over, Evan. He doesn't have a gamer tag that I know of, so. Assalamualaikum, or whatever they say. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, my co host. You. Gerald, a.k.a. Sikinete. Yep. Nice to be back. Nice to have everybody with us again. Yep. Hopefully everybody's been safe this week. So far. I am going to apologize for messing up what I was trying to say, but that's also partially because I've been re-watching the Boondocks, and mm -hmm. I completely forgot in the R. Kelly trial episode where Adam West is the defense attorney that he says that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that just popped into my head as I was saying it, and I was trying to stop myself from laughing while saying the phrase. Gotcha. I, it's, it's I, all good. Adam West is a treasure. I wish we can get him back. <laughs> the world's right. a lesser place without on, him. Didn't we? Yeah. Didn't we? Uh, well, I'm trying to remember if... if he got his Hollywood star before or after he died. I think be just before he like a year before he died or the year before he died, he got it. Mm. Well, if uh, this episode of Lock and Key has anything to say, all we need to go do is go to the wellhouse and say his name and he'll come back. Ah. <laughs> That sounds like a but, bad, uh, bad idea. <laughs> oh, it was, and we'll get into that. But uh, we'll we'll start off with: Did anybody anything interesting happen to anyone this week? I swear, yesterday I was thinking, oh, I'm gonna have a lot to say of things to catch up on, and now I can think of nothing. Uh, sadly, I think the most interesting thing with me is just that I upgrade. Uh, since uh, last time we spoke, I was upgrading my entertainment system, but now I can confirm that uh, you should never watch 2001 A Space Odyssey in anything less than 4K. Hmm. <laughs> so all those extra pixels help us to see that Hal's actually an evil bastard. Well, we all knew Hal. Well, I think you have to... Catch, I'm not 100% sure. I'll, I'm also someone who doesn't believe in good and evil in general. But, you know, if once you know the full extent of everything that's going on in that, uh, in that movie and all that, it's kind of hard to call him evil. More like he's just fighting to survive and he just made a preemptive strike. <laughs> Indeed. How about you, Gerald? Wait, Anything which movie? 2001, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah, that one. Oh. I don't even remember or, that. <laughs> where they're on the space station and Hal is the big red eye. Uh, mm. well, it's not a big red eye, but he has a glowing light on, like, for lack well, of a better yeah. term, main console. <laughs> yeah. 
like if you saw a house console, you'd probably recognize it instantly. Yeah. Maybe I'm just not recognizing it by name. I can be bad about that. I'd like um, to sing you a song, Dave. Hmm. Daisy. Daisy. <laughs> and your answer do. Daisy. Daisy. <laughs> right. So Gerald, do anything. In... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead and finish. No, no. Go ahead. I wouldn't say anything important. Anything interesting this week, Gerald? Um, uh, I want to say a couple of things, but nothing I can remember specifically now. Um, like I was trying to catch a couple of different shows. I got to start writing things down when I come across them in all honesty. Otherwise I forget them after about three days. Just, but that's understandable. No, not really. Um, I have been making sure to do my writing. Um, uh, I didn't post up any videos to my other channel, mostly because I'm kind of, uh, changing what I'm going to be doing with the videos. So yeah. I'm working on actually just doing what I want with it, which is basically like kind of parody comedy kind of thing. So I'm trying to figure out exactly what I want to do with them. So I, I've, I've stopped doing that for, I haven't stopped doing it, but I'm in the process of trying to figure out exactly how to make the kind of video I want to make. Um, we're going to have and a new I'll... Team Four Star competitor? Uh, no, I don't think it'll be a Team Four Star competitor. I don't want to do any, I don't want to do something like that. I, I want to do my own thing. Um, like, I, I honestly, I'm not sure yet. Like, uh, I have a couple of ideas, like skits for Warhammer and stuff like that, but, um, mm got to see how they're going to actually turn out and they're going to take some time to make so it always looks better in your head right <laughs> it does always look better in your head everything yeah. does that's art it's you trying to create mm -hmm. something that's in your mind and then settling for something that's far far less <laughs> no no you're not um, so for me, but outside go ahead sorry oh you're fine. Uh, but outside of that, um, there's Nick. Yeah, been a fairly uh, quiet week. All right. So just so you know, Nick, we're not talking about the uh, the riots just yet. Okay. Well, hell, we could. Well, he. Well, we were initially going to uh, do the reviews, waiting for you. So I mean, you guys do whatever you want. Uh -huh. I got time. Um, you will be pleased to know that Anchor is, in fact, cross-platform. You can do computer and I'm, cell phone? I'm doing this through Chrome right now. Nice. When we first started this thing, uh, we had that issue. I think Gerald tried to do it on his his computer, and I was doing it from my phone, and it didn't quite pan out. So Yeah, website's telling me that... Uh... You two are connected through the phone, and that myself and somebody named Evan are connected through Chrome. Yes. 
that would be uh, that would be my friend from the next town over. Oh, rock, rock. Hello, hello. All right. So since uh, so Gerald finish up, and then we can pass it over to Nick. That's about it. So All right. I mean, week was fine. Uh, nothing really significant to. Uh, to report that I can remember off cuff. So, gotcha. So, how about you, Nick? Anything interesting this week? I mean, nothing particularly interesting. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and viewpoints about what's going on in the country right now. Mm-hmm. And they have not always. I have indeed too. Yeah, they're 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 not always the most pleasant. There's a lot of high tension and high feelings uh, surrounding the issue, especially if you start talking to cops about it. <sighs> yeah, I can imagine. Well, cops are kind of in a, most of them are, in, I'd say right now, in a very lose-lose situation. Because uh, if you are a good cop, then you're automatically, for the mo- like, from assumption, being put into the same category as the bad cops, and especially now that people can't really ignore how bad the bad cops are now. And if you are a bad cop, well, you kind of have been taking advantage of all the power and that you've had. And let's be honest, uh, they're not going to have that level of power, I think, anymore after this. Um, mm. Well, we can hope. Uh, the, the, the big problem, <laughs> and on the other side of that viewpoint, right, nobody... I haven't seen anybody saying that all cops are bad, right? I've seen the the phrase all cops are bastards being floated around a lot. And I think the origin of that sentiment is that, you know, during normal times, you're going to have cops that are doing it fucked up. And the the cop I talk to most regularly, my dad, uh, he's he's retired now, but he's uh, he's real fond of quoting police statistics and how many interactions there were between police and citizens and how 99.9% of them go smoothly and there's no problems. And, you know, how can we have as many bad cops as you think there are? And it's like, well, dad, the problem a lot of people are trying to call out is that the good cops aren't doing anything to stop the bad cops from being bad cops. Um, right. Yeah. Even if that, I mean, we all know about the blue shield, so right. That thin blue line, uh. you, you get somebody in the police department that fucks up and the police departments and police individually tend to close ranks and, form up around the person who messed up so that from the outside looking in, it doesn't look as if justice is being served equitably. One of the points yeah. I've made about how the, the the situation with George Floyd was handled, how the situation with former officer Chauvin was handled was that it took them four days to arrest officer Chauvin after the incident. And there was video evidence uh, that he, he might've murdered this man uh, like immediately after the fact. And that's not, four days that's that, that's that's a lot of time that's not afforded to your average everyday citizen if there's evidence they mm. might have murdered yeah. a human being available immediately after they might have murdered a human being and they didn't like right. hold him or anything or put him into questioning they just like basically they fired him first they fired him and sent him home then, and then they avoided arresting yeah. him so hard that they didn't even take him into protective custody when there was an angry mob outside his house yeah um, let's, uh, so, all right, well, after, after we finish the, the week in review, we'll go ahead and jump into this. And then if anyone else joins, they can chime in as oh, well. So 
It's it's fine. It's fine. I I get it. It's a it's a hot topic, which is why we're talking about it this week. Um, so for my week, I just spent the last hour and a half uh, sitting in my camping chair in front of my TV, watching uh, for those for those of you in the know. Um, the almighty event just happened, and it took an hour and a half for that big ass damn ship to get exploded. But what an explosion! That was awesome. Uh, other than that, I also pulled a $7 trigger on a book about gamifying your life. Uh, I sent a copy of it to Crit. If anyone else uh, would like a copy, they can. Uh, I can post it into our chat and uh, we can take a look at it from there. Other than that, uh, air is still hot soup, unfortunately, in this state. And... Uh, uh, us big, uh, fat, half-Wookiee guys are going to be sweating a lot, unfortunately. Well, I can speak as a guy who's not a big, fat Wookiee. You don't need to be to be sweating a lot. <laughs> like a simple 15-minute mm. walk to the store nearly tore me out. And for a 38-year-old, I am in excellent shape. So that's saying something. One of the only <laughs> benefits of living in North yeah. Dakota is that summertime weather means it's 75 degrees and breezy out. Oh, God, I missed that. Mm. <laughs> Not as big. That's a, what it's like in Alaska. Yeah, I'm, I'm not as big a fan of it in the winter time when it's 30 degrees below zero and three feet of snow on the ground from October. <laughs> right. to April. Gotta, I miss that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to have that trade-off somewhere. Yeah. Well, and, uh, I just prefer climates where summer means that you can choose if it's if you want to wear pants or shorts as opposed to feeling like it's a requirement <laughs> uh, <laughs> one way or the other <laughs> right i actually lived in south dakota for a year and a half after i got out of the army and uh i just needed one winter and i was done there <laughs> you know when uh when the entirety of like you, you get it, you, you know, you get up, you go out to your car to go to work and everything is just a white line and you're going towards the stop sign and you think you're going towards the stop sign, but then you get stuck in a ditch. Sorry. When you said white line, I was like, you sure you weren't in LA and it was going up your nose? <laughs> oh no. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Um, Two places you can find a white line. Right. And um, far be it from me to shame anybody on their choices of recreational uh, enhancements. I'm a, I'm a firm user of the uh, hoppy flavored kind. Um, but well, I choose to, I choose to ingest my cocaine in the form of coffee. For those who know enough about horticulture to understand the connection. Right. <laughs> So coffee is a what in the family of the cocaine plant? It, it's all the cocoa plants. Coffee, chocolate, and cocaine is all the cocoa plant. And kind of really the big difference between the three is basically how much of the cocoa plant is being compacted into your chosen injection device. Like it, it, mm. like if there's a little bit, if there is just some of the cocoa, cocoa plant, then it's cut as chocolate. If it's enough, then it's going to have you like tweaking like crazy because you're like got all that caffeine in you then it's coffee when it's literally compacted so much that it comes off as a white powder and it's going to have you jumping off the walls like they're the friggin flash that's when it's cocaine 
right. So I'm just putting in chat that we're just going to go ahead and start off with the main event. Um, uh, for and, point of order, just, just so that things are clear, uh, cocaine and chocolate do not, in fact, come from the same plant. They are different cultivars of a plant that humanity domesticated thousands of years ago. They're from different variations of the cocoa plant. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you can't yeah, go to Hershey's why... chocolate farms and steal a bunch of shit and make cocaine. It doesn't work. <laughs> Dude, if God you could go to the, to the Hershey's chocolate farm and steal anything from them, respect for your criminal mastermindedness. <laughs> people talk about Fort Knox being fortified. I'm like, no, that's nothing compared to like trying to steal. That's not compared to like a big corporation like uh, Hershey's or if you're trying to get like the formula for Coca-Cola. Hmm. <laughs> And uh, coincidentally enough, old Coca-Cola had cocaine in it. Oh, I know. That's where those soda names come from. Pepsi had Pepsid. <laughs> Dr. Pepper was a cure-all. And uh, there was another one. I can't remember what it is right now, but it was like a hardcore drug that was put into the drink. Medicine back in the mm. day, man. Take some cough syrup. It's got like freaking one milligram or micro whatever the hell one some amount of thc per milliliter and some amount of cocaine per milliliter and a little bit of uh, you know lsd thrown in there for good measure just to make you feel good <laughs> coca-cola the favorite soda of sherlock holmes <laughs> that explains so much Hey, if you ever read those original stories, there was not a substance he didn't like to abuse. <laughs> Including hookers. <laughs> Only if you're watching Elementary. Though I do like to think uh, there's a great uh, there's a comic called Injection that has a Sherlock Holmes like character, and I do love how partially as a as a character uh, development kind of a thing, and also partially as a sight gag, his assistant like says he's asexual and then it's a montage of how he literally all right we've got one Gerald. singular sensation <laughs> ah seven. Right, yep good so it's not a uh it's not an episode of gaming sessions if there aren't fucking technical issues <laughs> was it uh the connection like dropped or something or yep it sure oh. was Fucking connection. So we shall play the waiting game. Well, there's okay, there's Gerald. Good. And there's Nick. Alright. All right. So Technical Sorry. difficulties. Indeed it was. Reset the phone and so far we're good to go. So we'll go ahead and uh, forego the initial first parts of our usual podcast reviewing the shows that we're watching and just jump right into the topic. Awesome. <sighs> this is not a thing that I've revisited just all day, every day for the past week and some change. <laughs> uh, right. I think so, that's been all of us. This is kind of inescapable. Well, right. <laughs> so, so and we before let, we continue, yeah. let oh. me give the disclaimer. All opinions expressed on this segment of this podcast are those of the 
opinion givers and not of the podcast in general, nor our one and only sponsor, Anchor. So having said that, continue. <laughs> well, I mean, where would we like to start? <laughs> well, I don't know, even though everybody knows it, I guess, with what started all this to begin with, which is the murder of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Which, even now that things are going in the right direction, I'd say was still handled very, very badly. <laughs> I mean, mm. yeah, handled badly is kind of... I know British people who would applaud you for your understatement. <laughs> mm. I'm being polite. <laughs> um, I mean, like I said before, before the technical difficulties... I, so, performing an examination of the incident... Uh, during which George Floyd was murdered by former Officer Chauvin. Uh, one thing that needs to be kept in mind is that everything up to the point where one of the other officers on the scene can't find a pulse is defensible. Uh, it's unfortunately defensible. Uh, Minneapolis is one of my, what my understanding is very few police departments in the country that before this incident uh, that method of restraint the knee on the back of the neck was an approved method of restraining uh, somebody you're arresting um, it, it, it allows you to keep control of their head they can't get up they can't move it doesn't really matter what else if, if, if they're handcuffed and you've got them held down by their head or neck they're not getting up which allows you to use your hands to for example perform a search of the subject uh, if you don't have backup uh, or to respond to other threats, if they're, if this isn't the only person you're having to interact with right now. Um, I've seen conflicting studies. There was one done by a law enforcement consulting agency. I won't name uh, that indicated this was, this was not likely to kill somebody. We wouldn't recommend kneeling on their neck or on their chest or on the back or on their chest, but the neck is fine. Um, and Which is and there was funny because no, those other areas are far less vulnerable than a neck is. Right. But yeah, I was, I was going to say, um, and, and sorry to interrupt, but uh, from what I had seen, the standard is to put your knee on their back. You still control them. Yeah. They can move their head around, but okay. You've got all your weight pressed onto their back. They're not really going to do much of anything. So here's where you get to the difference between a blood choke and an air choke. Um, so depending on the coroner's report, right? But mm -hmm. let's, uh, let, let's say that by putting uh, his knee on the back of George Floyd's neck, and this was restricting the flow of oxygen to George Floyd's brain, right? This is apparently not a thing that's in either one of the coroner's reports, but we're working with a theory here that dem demonstrated difference. Yeah. Um, a blood choke is a thing that a lot of us in the military were trained on. I know every Marine is trained on it. Basically, you apply pressure to the carotid arteries in somebody's neck to restrict the flow of blood to the brain. It doesn't matter whether or not they can breathe if the air is not getting where it needs to be. Um when you're compressing, when you're putting all of your weight on somebody's back or chest while they're on the ground, you're doing the opposite. You're making it so they can't take in enough air to get enough oxygen into their bloodstream to send it to where it needs to go. Um, which is why previously, 
you know, law enforcement studies were not recommending that you lean on somebody's chest or back. Um, but I've seen other studies that have shown that a disproportionate number of people have died in police custody after somebody used this method of, you know, neck restraint. Because, you know, you've got your knee on one side of their neck and the other side's being pressed into the pavement. It only takes, like, if you do a blood choke the right way, if you're really good at it, it takes less than 10 seconds to render somebody unconscious. Um, to go into the actual specific event itself, and uh, I commend you on doing an excellent job of basically playing devil's advocate and showing how, even in that case, it doesn't really help what they initially... Uh, I feel like you were hinting at what they initially tried to use as their excuse for not the, for not charging him. And um, well, I, I, no, I mean, just like you're saying, like, even in the best case scenario, it's still this is not a good thing to do is I feel like it was the gist of what you were saying. Pretty much. Um, yeah. My my point. But that I had been originally sorry, trying to make and I'm sorry, I'll, I'll I'll yield the floor to you in just a second, is that everything up to the point where they couldn't find a pulse was defensible. The, the method of restraint used was approved by the police department in Minneapolis. Um. This guy's under arrest. The, the police are saying that he was resisting arrest, uh, so they need to restrain him. All the way until they can't find a pulse, the actions Officer Chauvin had been taking were defensible. As soon as they can't find a pulse, it's his duty to try to keep this man alive. They should have flipped him over, started administering CPR. But according to the video evidence, he kept kneeling on him. And then it had to be asked by the EMTs to get off of him so they could take him away. And going back to that video evidence, what I was about to say is that, like, I understand, like, doing something like that to restrain somebody. Like, don't agree with it, but I'm saying understand. If you need to keep someone restrained, especially if, like we say, best case scenario, the guy was resisting arrest. But having seen that video, which is, like, what is it, eight and a half minutes long, I think it is, total? At least that's how much time he spends on the guy's neck. Eight minutes and 46 seconds, how long he kneeled yeah. on him. Right. He doesn't make the slightest effort to put any cuffs or restraints on him. He's not searching him. All he is doing for that entire time is put is putting his is just having his knee on that dude's neck. Uh, just just to clarify and for accuracy of information, George Floyd was in cuffs. Okay, he was already, he was in, already cuffs. in cuffs. Yeah. So, like, I think we just can agree uh, that. Basically, what the officer did was just completely and totally unnecessary. Even if there was a point where it was necessary for do it for eight minutes and 46 seconds for all that time, while people around them are screaming at him to get off him, the guy is saying, I can't breathe and literally crying for his mother. Right. <laughs> like, it's, let's just say that in a, if, that was a, if that was not a police officer, that was just a normal civilian going about their day, did that to another human being with a video evidence of it in everything – like, that would be a prosecutor's dream. Right. He'd be under arrest as soon as they hmm. can find him to arrest him. Yeah. And it's, oh, but like, like we said, like we said, uh, I think I said this before we had technical difficulties earlier. It's like, it's that blue shield, though. It's um, like, I think it, to me, it's one of the more negative aspects of how we're very good about creating communities around a common ground. And with police officers, it's this idea that we are all in this together, but sadly that means they're going to protect the bad apples. And one of the things I saw coming up uh, for the last couple of days especially was an old 
stand-up skit by Chris Rock where he says, like, you know, there are some jobs where you really you can't even have really just one bad apple. Not that that's even possible with the police, but he does have a point. It's like these people yeah. are responsible for our safety. We go to them for our protection. We go to them for help when a crime is committed against us, if we're being attacked or anything like that. We can't really afford to have them decide that there's, like, leeway too much with that and we especially can't afford to have we can't have be policed by the criminals especially yeah um i mean i i used to interact with a lot of people who have either are or had been in law enforcement uh like regularly and one of the things that always comes up when you talk about you know arresting charging prosecuting a police officer when they commit a criminal act in the pursuit of their duties is that there's this there seems to be this concern that if you overdo it that you will make the police afraid to do their jobs when they need to do something like that there's there's going to be an unfortunate number regardless if that number is greater than 0 there's going to be an unfortunate number of interactions with the police where they are required to do harm to somebody to put an end to a situation and if the the, the the police I've talked to have expressed a concern that if you prosecute a cop every time, right, if every one of these incidents has to be investigated and charges may be brought and everybody's going to armchair quarterback that cop, then cops nationwide are going to feel like, well, I can't ever point a gun at somebody. I can't use all of the tools at my disposal. I can't be seen as even maybe having misused force because, you know, they're going to jam me up for it. I can't. Yeah, I don't think. Welcome to a man in an abusive relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and it's Indeed. not. Indeed. And I do believe it is not an unreasonable concern. And I, that, that's to be said. But at the same time, what we are seeing now is the effect of going too far in the other direction. And with any of these things, there has to be that balance. Um, uh, also, we just look at it and. There's really just too much, I feel, currently that's on their side or working for them so that the worst of the – so that even the worst of the apples, not even just the ones who are bad apples or, like, you know, just the worst of them can get away with this. I mean, one, you have a prosecutor who – first of all, let's be looking at it from the prosecutor's point of view. It sucks when you got to prosecute a cop, no matter how much they deserve it. Because that cop's going to have friends, even even the ones who aren't their friends are still going to see that cop as a comrade, and you have to work with them. You are dependent on them to give you what you need to win your cases. You know, you have the cops union that's going to work extra hard against that. Once again, doesn't matter how bad the how bad the apple is, they'll do that. We like to believe the cops, uh, like as a group, will not let the worst of them like get away with stuff, but. We're here because that sadly does tend to happen. We are, and it's it's an observation I made to my father the other day. He's like, "Well, why does everybody think all cops are bastards? Why am I seeing that thrown around?" It's well, because if you look at just the situation we've been in since George Floyd, if you look at the protests and riots, <coughs> we're seeing a lot of abuse of authority and misuse of force, like just everywhere. Yeah, the old yeah. guy that like, got pushed to the ground in Buffalo, what, two days ago now? We've seen, we, yeah. I, I think we've had 279 reported cases of uh, 
press freedom violations because the cops are firing rubber bullets, wooden bullets, tear gas canisters, and just straight up hitting people with TV cameras and press credentials during these protests. We're seeing a lot of people being shot directly with tear, tear gas canisters, rubber bullets, and that's not how they're intended to be used. We're seeing le uh, what is classified as less than lethal force being misused in such a way that it becomes potentially lethal force. But what we're not seeing is a wave of police officers who have been at these protests standing up and calling out their shitty comrades who are misusing their authority, misusing the trust that the public is supposed to be putting in them and misusing the tools at their disposal um, to try to quell the riots. In fact, we saw recently that there's a 75-year-old a man was violently pushed down by a couple of cops in Buffalo, New York. They, I just, uh, just before we got back on here, I saw that they were being charged, but their fellow officers like came out in droves oh, to support. Oh them. yeah, no, um, <laughs> and it's specifically in the case of the Buffalo Police Department, the unit that was on the scene, uh, two members of the emergency response team, like a uh, tactical unit, um, pushed down this guy, this old man. And he's bleeding on the concrete. And during the course of the video, you don't see anybody stop to help him. You see one cop on a radio might be calling for an ambulance, but we don't know that. And then two of these officers. Um, Quick interruption. Because hmm. uh, I was watching a, uh, I was watching that video and it was part of a news feed by Chris Hayes, I think it was. And he was talking about it. Like, as you watch the video, the cop, I believe it was the same cop that pushed the 74 year old man. He leans down to try to start helping him, and the cop behind him literally grabs it and pulls him back up and pushes him forward. And then all of them confer, then all of them converge on a protester who was actually on his way to try to help the old man. Yeah. And the ironic thing about the entire situation is that the old man was going up to the police officers to return one of their helmets he had found lying on the ground somewhere. Um, I want to bring up uh, two points that I think are important. Um, and this isn't regards to just the old man, but just in general with this. Um, one is, and I found this out just a couple of days ago myself, and I think it's important uh, to keep it in mind, is definitely a question in my head with the original George Floyd video, like why didn't anybody help? There, you are actually legally not allowed uh, by law to do anything to physically stop an officer, even if you know they're doing something wrong, because that scene is getting in the way of them doing it. It's basically obstruction of justice. It falls into that purview. So, hmm. like, even if you so in the case of George Floyd, like literally it would you would be breaking the law if you actively like tried to tackle that police officer off of George, George Floyd. Literally, your only defense is to record it so it can be see, so you can show it later and be like, here's proof that they did wrong. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up is I think it's going to be very easy for obvious reasons for anything we say for somebody who's just coming in out of the blue for us thinking that we're saying all cops are bad or the whole institution is. And I want to point out that. No, I think cops are like any other group of people. The majority want to do the right thing. It's really easy to be influenced into doing the wrong thing when you're part of a large group that's supporting it, or if you feel like you have to show that you, that sense of solidarity. But I really, really want to point out, just as much as I want to point out all the horrible things that they've been doing in these riots and stuff like that, I equally want to point out that there are several cities where there's been no violence, there's been like no like major instance or anything and the common ground for most if not all of them is that these are the cities where the cops look at those protesters and they join them 
because they're like, you're right, this is not okay. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of that floating around, too. Uh, there's a lot of people in the police community, just harken back to my dad here real quick, that um, his entire social media feed is nothing but instances where the cops are doing it right. And while it's, it's a good thing to, recommend, to recognize that that exists, that that, that, that is happening, yeah. I think the problem is that the cops who are pointing that shit out are being seen as trying to whitewash the issue. Um, yeah. And I didn't even hear it from like a, I didn't even get it from like a cop thing or anything like that. It's one of those things. It's not hard to find the source of the information. Yeah, it's not. Uh, yeah. But with Buffalo, right? So you have yeah. two officers charged and 57 more resigned from the emergency response team. They didn't quit their jobs at the police department. Yeah, I saw a lot of articles that were making it sound like they did. I'm glad you pointed um, that out. And there were some early articles of it where people on the Black Lives Matter side of the argument have been or had been calling these cops out as heroes. Hey, look, you guys saw two people fucking it up. You didn't do anything about it at the time, but now you've all quit your jobs because you want to show solidarity with the movement and yada, yada, yada. It, it turns out, no. Uh no, they want to show solidarity with those well, two cops. Yeah, those, those two <laughs> cops have been charged, and I guess the police union has decided that because of the overwhelming damning evidence in this case, they're not going to cover those police officers legal fees. So the rest of the officers in the unit quit being in that unit because they, they feel like they can't do their jobs because if they have to do something where somebody gets hurt, the police union is not going to be there to back them up. Uh, and I, I can't say that that's a good decision. Like, um, Man, if the police union is going to be required to cover your legal fees, even when you're fucking it up, yeah. that 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 demonstrates if that's the expectation that that demonstrates a problem with police culture in the United States, because that's yeah. just another element in the thin blue line. If you are as a, as an individual, as a police officer, you're supposed to be serving and protecting the community you find yourself in. Uh, you're supposed to be upholding the law, which you have very little training in. Um, yeah. if, if that's what your job is, why the hell should the police union back your play when there is overwhelming evidence that you've done something criminal? Why should you be different from every other Joe Schmo citizen who commits a crime? And that's, I think, because as a, well, that's, I think job. a big problem with the issue is it's gotten to the point mm. where even where they're literally arguing with common sense. There are lots of cases, especially with the police, especially just what they do by the nature of the job, where it's very defensible, very arguable in their favor. But it's the thing is they're do, they're acting as if the ones that are not defensible, where there is little to no argument in their favor, and they're still treating it like it's defensible and all the arguments are in their favor. And the reality is... And this isn't even just a police thing. It's a people thing in general. There's always going to be horrible people. I mean, just look at the protesters. Yeah, we have a lot of bad actors that are coming out. They're purposely going outside of their own towns into other towns trying to find the protest and sabotage them. But at the same time, you also just have people who are just there and they look at a protest and they think, here's the thing to do is to start looting and breaking stuff up. I mean, that's why we have just as many videos of like the actual protesters trying to stop people from doing that who clearly are not a part of that, like any hate group or anything like that. They're just people who think they have an opportunity and can do it. And thank God there's the protesters who are stopping them, not um, 
they're smart in the sense that they're like, it's not even about what you can and cannot do or anything like that. It's just like, if you do this, we get blamed for it. If you do this, this undermines what we're fighting for. Just because we don't think the cops should be acting you know, without oversight doesn't mean we feel we should be acting without oversight. Right. I'm glad you said that because I was hoping that that was yeah. the case. <clears throat> and it's um, and I hate that like the few bad actors that are really are there that were claiming to be a part of the protest. Like, let's keep in mind a lot of these protests. They like they were as above board as they could be. They got their permits and everything for it. And then somebody, and then we do have the case. Like I said, out of towners coming in, and this we've seen proof now that there's literally a national coordinated effort to do just that, um, trying to ruin it. And we do have cases where the cops start it, but there are, but. Also, just natural mob mentality means you're going to have somebody who, as soon as things could take the slightest turn and wonder in a certain direction, they're just going to be they're going to be their worst because they can. And it's I get annoyed that a lot of people like to look at those people. act like that's all of them, you know, even if they're not officially a part of the protest and a simple Google search will prove that. And even then, I just want to sit down and be like, let's pretend for a second. You're right that they actually were and all that. Do, you, do I have to explain what mob mentality is to you? I, I think the problem is hmm. that yes, yes, you do. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Evan, that's the problem. There, there's bad actors and people on both sides uh, within the police, uh, backing up the police within the protests, ancillary to the protests uh, that are not acting in good faith. Right? The protesters are trying to get across their message. The cops are trying to get across a different message. Uh, sometimes the the message the cops are trying to say is, "Hey, look, we're the cops. Fuck off." Um, but in a lot of places like Flint, Michigan, the cops are trying to say, hey, no, we, we hear you. How do we solve the problem? The, the, but another problem is that in a lot of places like Minneapolis didn't have riots until the cops started misusing nonlethal force against protesters. Um, that's, yeah. not, that's not been the case everywhere. Some places there's been shitty people starting riots and it's detracting from the protesters message. And then in other places, you've got cops trying to see not all cops are bastards while they're punching uh the press uh, punching reporters in the face with riot shields. And we've got video of the police in Boston setting up brick piles, nowhere near active construction zones in the path of the protests. Yeah. We have video. Oh, that was police doing that? Unloading bricks from a police, from a marked police pickup truck and laying them in piles near, near uh, registered protest routes. Um, you're, it's not hard to find a lot of wow. like, like we actually you can find actual proof, and I don't just mean like someone made a thing or put up a picture, and there's lots of ways to interpret it. No, there are literally off-duty officers who went onto their Facebook pages bragging about how they were like hiding like their take-home riot gear so that they could so they could purposely start damaging property and all that, and knowing that the protesters would be blamed for it or thinking it would. Yeah, it's uh. Man, people are fucking See, dicks. Okay. See, this is what this is what bothers me about this. Why the fuck would you go onto your Facebook and brag as an officer mm. about mm. commit about committing mm. a crime? Mm. These are the things that give validation to people who are like, this is a conspiracy, is being organized. I was actually talking to Squid not too long ago about a uh, 
a, cu- a a black couple that was stopped in a car during traffic by police officers with body cams. And the entire time they are uh, basically searching this couple's vehicle. First off, they, they flag them down. It, it's in New York. They flag this couple down. The, uh, the guy is like, hey, I just got out of the hospital, knife wound, lifts his shirt to show them the knife wound to prove it. And they're like, hey, man, we don't want to see that. Then they're like, well, and then one cop goes around to the driver's side and it was the uh, it was the woman who was driving. And he gets to the driver's side window. He's like, I smell weed. We're going to have to search your vehicle. And so they make this guy and uh, his I assume his girlfriend or his wife get out of the <laughs> car. They're searching it. Now, all of this mm-hmm. is on body cams, and you can listen to them talking, and they're talking. They're like, I don't see anything. It's like, well, we got to find something. It's like, I don't see anything, man. And then they, on body cam, plant a marijuana bud in the car. And it's like, is it that you just don't care, or are you actually being paid off? So as somebody... Like, Oh, sorry. Well, uh, no, I actually that... have a response to that. Um, no, as somebody, go ahead. Go ahead. yeah, as, as somebody who is like, uh, I'm a huge fan of David Simon. I have like, mo- I have at least two copies of Homicide: A Year on the Killing Streets, which was the book that was the inspiration for the TV series Homicide: Life on the Street. He went on to create The Wire, which are excellent examples of fiction that is more true than most like based on true story movies and TV shows you see. Um, and, uh, and but having read the book and since then, or at least some of the book, I can't say I finished it, uh, but it's uh, having read that book, looking into like a lot of like how police, like law enforcement actually works in this country. Uh, one is that crime does not tend to attract the smartest of people. <laughs> like, let's be honest. Uh, speaking as somebody, you know, I'm going to brag and say I'm really smart. Uh, but no, it's like whenever I come across, uh, when I used to work in a grocery store, when I cross, come across somebody who would like go out of their way to hide their PIN number when they slid their card and all that, the thought going through my mind each time is I can't do anything with that PIN number unless I know your card number. If I'm smart enough to suddenly memorize at a glance your 16-digit card number, I'm probably smart enough to come up with a better way of getting money than stealing it from your like measly little bank account, you know? <laughs> even if I wasn't going to go the criminal route. So oh. you don't have a lot of Lex Luthers in crime. Putting that out there, pointing out this, yeah, in some of these cases where cops are clearly incriminating themselves, it's just them stupid. I think the bigger problem is that a lot of them aren't. It's just that they are so convinced of their invincibility through the system that it's like you said earlier, they don't care. It's the Nixon thing. You don't, you're, you're going to do something that naturally incriminates you because you think no one can hurt you. So why not? So it's a flex it is. basically. And anyway, it, it goes a little deeper than that. Uh, my, my dad likes to tell a story to back his himself up when he's talking about these kinds of issues about, an incident in 1987 in a neighborhood, I think it was Fairmont Heights, it's near D.C., um, where he witnessed an instance of police brutality and did all of the paperwork and reporting necessary to get that shit reported up the chain and taken care of, right? Reported, eight of, mm-hmm. timed out, eight of his brother cops. And before Internal Affairs could even see the report, his corporal had made copies of it and distributed it to everybody in the, uh, in the department. And for the next year afterwards, I don't remember if the, the situation eventually solved mm. itself or if he left and moved, like, went to a different department. 
But for like a year after this, my dad couldn't get backup in a timely fashion. Dispatch wouldn't send him help when he needed it. And that's the, the, one of the deepest problems we have, I think, and I don't know if I'm getting off topic or what. One of the deepest problems we have with the police departments, the police system in the United States right now, is that it hasn't changed other than to grow its, its own authority and grow its own capabilities like fucking literally ever. Uh, we have a system that is still largely populated. I think like 78% of cops are white. And these are all systems and protections that have been put in place as far back as you know the 30s, 40s, and 50s when all the cops were white and black people couldn't be cops. And the whole system is designed to protect cops from their own shit. Um, and even in situations where the system might not protect hmm. them, the police are perceived as, you know, closing ranks. If you dime out your brother cops, we're going to tell all your brother cops that you dimed them out. And now none of them are going to want to help you and you can't do your job. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, I find that to be a very frustrating catch 22. Like, because if you are dime, it's one thing if you dime out a good cop, but like you said, if you're diming out someone who is an actively bad cop, like say the kind of person who will spend eight minutes and 46 seconds right. with his knee on someone's neck, that's someone you can't trust anyway. But because you are making it clear that that is not a trustworthy police officer, then the police officers will decide they can't, that they don't trust you. And now you can't trust them to have your back when you need it. You know, that's, really ridiculous and in reality the smart thing is if you like point that bad apple out because like i said in in my mind if and this may this is oversimplistic and i realize it's far more doing so gonna put it out but i feel like a lot of what we're going to be saying is going to come down to this very simple uh statement i'm about to make is if the citizens can't trust them then the police shouldn't then the police can't trust them that's a solid point um there's also a lot of there's a huge culture within the police force, uh, you know, with the, there's so many veterans in the police like serving as cops. And we've been militarizing the police force over the last 20 or 30 years. And they uh, for a little while there in the early 2000s, the police were actually cross training with the military for anti-terrorist and anti-active shooter situations that we have this warrior culture, this warrior ethos that has grown within the police departments and police agencies in the United States. And, and um, I just want to add to that for just a second should also be pointed out that a lot of military ordinance that they, that the military decides they're not going to use anymore. They literally just mm. give to some police departments. There are police departments that have basically military grade tanks for that reason. That's new to me. Yeah. There's actually a research paper that says restricting that actually, uh, reduces the amount of civilian like innocent civilian casualties uh with that under that police department's jurisdiction Um, yeah and that makes a lot of sense um sorry i don't mean to interrupt i just want to get that out there but this is actually a weird situation where i'm not gonna say i i almost said sympathize with the cops i don't on this but i understand where it comes from because i'm the kind of guy who's like constantly getting new books and stuff Mm -hmm. like that you get a new thing your first response is "Ooh, i want to use it 
even if it's not that like even if it's just like a freaking kitchen implement i have that like feeling with it you know so it makes sense that of course it's going to increase the violence of cops on citizenry because ooh, we just got a tank who here can suddenly just have a tank drop in their lap and not want to immediately drive it down the street and i've Speaking as a human being who's yeah. actually like thoroughly investigated the financial viability of purchasing a tank, um, <laughs> I, I think it's honestly less about the equipment than it is about the mentality. Uh, you have this warrior culture that's come up, and it's promoting an us versus them mentality. You tell cops that they're in danger every time they go out on the street, that somebody might want to kill them simply because they're a cop, because they're wearing that uniform, wearing that badge, that they are under threat. So now every time a cop goes out on patrol, he's walking down the street, he's driving down the street, he has to go to, he has to, you know, answer a domestic violence call or, hey, there's a shooting or, hey, look, this guy is, you know, we're looking for this guy with this description. Every time they go out in the pursuit of their duties, they feel like they're in danger. So even the most innocuous interactions become a situation where you know you're innocent you're talking to the cop you're asking questions it's no big deal but this cop this whole time is worried that you might at any moment try to kill him and i do feel like it should be pointed out that that is incredibly disproportionate to how it actually goes down there are police officers who are like practically from the age of 18 until they hit old age or retirement age go through their entire careers and even though they're trained and have to keep being trained and how to hmm. use their gun never pull it out and that is not a very, that's not exactly an uncommon thing. I'm not going to pretend there's any danger because your job is to be ready to jump in with the, to stop the most dangerous members of society. But the reality is most police, most like most, uh, what police, what actually generally happens with police officers is closer to like the investigations you see on like law and order or homicide life on the street and less like whatever CBS show they have where it's like, there's always a car chase or a gunfight in every episode, it seems like. And so I feel like I get that mentality. And it, a lot of it is that idea that when the worst comes, you want to make sure that your police officers are ready. But it also, like you said, it creates this very, very toxic uh, community and environment when the people they're being made, they're supposed to, be, you know, protect and serve, like it says on the car, they are already being trained to see as the enemy. Yeah. And um, we're seeing a lot coming out from different agencies within the federal and state governments during these protests, during these riots that are making it just a million times worse. Uh, for example, uh, when the president decides he wants to give a directive to try to classify Antifa as a terrorist organization and without, without touching on Antifa oh, and their beliefs in politics and whether or not it's just the idea of being against fascism, fuck all of that gloss right over it. They're not an organization and that's not a thing that can really be disputed. Antifa doesn't have any kind of cohesive leadership or organization or mission statement. It's a whole bunch of people who have organized themselves sometimes locally, but other, otherwise individuals acting on their own recognizance against what they perceive as an injustice against fascism. They don't believe in changing it. The, the, it's an ethos. It's not an organization. Um, so you can't classify them as terrorists, but if you manage to classify Antifa as terrorists, they go from being 
people, right? They go from being somebody who has rights under the law and has to be, you know, you have to read them the Miranda when you put them in cuffs. They can only be held for X number of hours before you have to have evidence to charge them and charge them. You go from having protections like that as a citizen of the United States to being an enemy combatant. I can tell you from experience that Miranda thing is bullshit. Oh. I've been arrested and uh, was never read my rights. And yeah. Basically, um, what's important isn't necessarily that you're told Miranda. What's important is whether or not you have an understanding of Miranda. And if you say or do anything that shows you have the understanding, then not being read those rights uh, will not help you in a court in your defense in a court case um that being said going back to what you were saying earlier i want to point something out about what you said about the whole like saying antifa is a terrorist organization everything you just said about that um to help bring home why that's a very very bad thing uh, this is probably going to come across slightly as a for those in the back kind of a statement but i think it needs to be said it's basically just like mccarthyism but the difference is it's not just we're going to ruin you in society's eyes and, you know, therefore you can't function as a member of society like you did before. It's a we literally can throw you into a hole somewhere without any due process, due which process. Whatever, like you said. Yeah. And you have to deal with it and you will have nothing that can help you, nothing that can save you. Like your your closest thing you have to a chance of being saved is if you're in an '80s action movie and you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, basically. <laughs> and even then, that's let's be honest. I think it's safe to say we're all smart enough to know in your average Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger in real life, his yeah, character probably. would have died. <laughs> um, yeah, but that, that's yeah, yeah. Multiple times. And I think that's very important to point out because there's way too many people going out there with guns thinking they're going to have a field day with things that don't seem to realize that just because you have a gun doesn't mean you're going to be a 1980s era Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Which is also nothing. another thing that's messed up about this. Like you said, him saying that Antifa, this is now a terrorist organization. I'm like, we actually have people that by every definition, both common sense and legal, should be counted as domestic terrorists actively actively interfering in these protests, actively performing acts of violence and stuff, some of them with weapons. Why is Antifa suddenly a terrorist organization and not them? And we have proof, not like suggestions, actual proof that they are organizing to do this. Here's the problem. (laughs) I'm not saying that the people operating and identifying themselves as part of the Antifa movement aren't terrorists because a lot of the bad actors we're seeing starting riots and starting bullshit in in major cities across the United States are acting under the Antifa banner. The problem is that you can't classify Antifa blanket as a terrorist organization because it's not an organization. There are a bunch of organizations in cities or in municipalities, local that are operating under that ideology but it's not like the fucking Taliban where you can identify one guy at the top of it. Um, so you can't say right. Antifa is a terrorist organization. It doesn't work. You'd have to pick specific organizations and cells and individuals in each of these cities and classify them as terrorists. And the problem is that if you do that, 
without due process, if you classify them as terrorists before you've even positively identified them, if you say you catch somebody doing this kind of shit, that person's a terrorist, you're denying citizens of the United States their rights to due process under the law. And what we're seeing is a large disparity in that and how it's handled. Uh, <laughs> honestly, uh, I, I want to say it's, it's blacks versus whites, but it's, it's really apparently not. What we're seeing is armed versus unarmed. Uh, a month ago, we had a rash of protests in state capitals of you know, a whole bunch of white people that don't want to wear a fucking mask or stay at home. Uh, sorry about that. I had to step oh, out fine. for a minute because someone's knocking on the door, uh, so I don't know what I missed. <laughs> I don't know that I want to try to repeat it all. It's all good. Um, what we're having is uh, <laughs> it's okay. you, know, you classify somebody as a terrorist and you're denying them their rights under the laws, what you're doing. And it's not really black versus white. It's not cops versus everybody else. It's I, I don't know what the disparity is. I can't pin it the fuck down. But I know I can point at one piece of it, mm -hmm. and that's We've had a, a rash of armed protests over the last two months. The first wave of them were a whole bunch of angry fuds with guns that went to their state capitol buildings to try to, to protest, um, you know, the stay-at-home orders and that you have to wear a mask and you can't have, you know, all of the, the public health issues, the public health steps. What? There's a word I'm trying to think of. I don't remember what it is. All the, the measures they took to, to contain the spread of COVID-19. You got a bunch of ang angry white folks with AR-15s that go and protest in the state capitol and the cops don't fuck with them. Uh, fuck, just last week or the week before in Lansing, Michigan, we had a group of black protesters come out to the state capitol in Michigan. And on the steps of the state capitol building, all of them armed to the teeth, uh, protesting the death of George Floyd and police brutality and systemic racism. And nobody fucked with them. But then when you have unarmed protesters all over the country getting shot with rubber bullets directly in the face and tear gas canisters and hit with batons and, you know, pull a mask aside to pepper spray them. What I'm seeing is that, man, if you want to go out and protest, you should probably do it armed because then the cops don't fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> Most yeah, they're happy to show strength against people who can't fight back. <laughs> well, it's what I was telling Squid. It's just the bully mentality. Bullies yeah. don't fuck with people they think that they could lose against. They fuck with people that they know either can't or won't fight back. With that thought in mind, we should probably bring up what is uh, definitely, uh, if we, even if we haven't seen up to this point, kind of an elephant in the room. It's what I'm thinking of every single time we bring up like someone being tear gassed or the police brutality and all that. Um, we got to talk about oh that photo op at some point. Uh, <laughs> so which, which, which exact pile of bullshit surrounding that photo op do you want to talk about first? <laughs> <laughs> okay, first explain the well, um, photo okay. op. I'm not aware of this. I okay, don't think. so um, uh, you, you, if you're not, I, I want to know how you avoided all contact with the outside world for the last week. <laughs> so, so um. Uh, the situation I'm talking about is how uh, after spending a weekend in his bunker, <laughs> uh, the president, uh, President Trump. Yeah. Well, it was an inspection. 
Yeah, and if you if you believe yeah, that, I, I got a bridge to sell you if you have cash and small bits. Uh, no, the article I saw about that was just that he was like, "I'm the f what was it? The Secret Service were just like we're taking you to the bunker, President. That's that's what I heard. That's the yeah. article that I read. That they just he was just like, "I'm gonna hold up in a bunker until this which, all blows over." To me, goes into an undeniable problem with this administration from the get go, which is even if that's true. I can't trust him. I can't trust them because there's been so many so, so many obvious lies. The pile of bullshit is the Trump administration. <laughs> but anyway, I feel like uh, except as it directly relates to the issue at hand is a separate issue. Yeah, but um, in this particular case, after an entire weekend where somebody was like, "Why isn't our leader addressing the nation about what is a very obvious, serious situation?" That uh, to be clear for those who don't realize it even though once again it's probably another thing of like how have you been under a rock if you don't know this this isn't just a national um uprest this is a global one there are like there are george floyd's name is known in places where under normal circumstances they would never have heard it like that is a name known Australia. in like, all over the world australia france, france yeah. new zealand europe belgium Paris, england actually sorry for interrupting Sorry for interrupting on this, but guess what? Guess how China is deciding to be a bunch of little shits again. It's oh. the most petty bullshit. <clears throat> During all of this, all of the protests well, globally about the injustice of this, China is like, see the hypocrisy of America? See how they treat their own people, but when we treat our people bad, they tell us that we can't. <laughs> yeah, I'm like part of that really is China. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but right, but it's the most petty yeah. bullshit. It yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh god, China. I knew China was going to say something as soon as these things start, especially after the Beijing <laughs> situation, which is still <laughs> ongoing. People seem to forget that. Uh, but um, back to what I was saying earlier, uh, basically after an entire weekend where everybody's like, why is the leader of our country not addressing the nation? Like literally every other president would have in history, uh, regardless of how you feel about them. When he does finally come out on Monday afternoon, he makes a speech where he doesn't seem to understand the contra the immediate contradiction of saying that he's all for peaceful protests. And then literally the very next sentence he's saying is how he is the president of law and order. And he's going to, and he's going to have the military step in and take care of things the for them. If the police the won't do it the or the government. Yeah. Yeah. And Which then is... he, and th Sorry, this go, is, continue. Finish this thought. is where the real bullshit comes in. Because up to that point, it's just been standard bullshit for the administration. This is where we go beyond just that regular bullshit, which is he ends his speech by saying, now I am going to take a moment to like honor a special place or show tribute to a special place, he says, to which then a command is sent out and all the law enforcement, military personnel, if I remember correctly, uh, if I'm wrong on any of the facts about this, please feel free to correct me. They immediately start firing tear gas, shooting rubber bullets, and even beating on the crowd outside who were model peaceful so, protesters, I, I think, basically. I think you are conflating two separate events, and, if, I, if my understanding of the situation is clear. The, the speech was given the same day as the incident yeah. in Lafayette Square, but are not perfectly related. The hypocrisy still exists. Uh, the problem is that following his speech, yeah. the president decided he wanted to take a photo in front of a church in Washington, D.C., the Episcopalian church, that is historically where presidents have attended services. 
He didn't warn the church that he was coming. He didn't ask for their permission to come and do a photo op in front of the church. And the church sits in a place called Lafayette Square. Well, the order was given to clear the square of protesters so that the president could get there safely and take his photo with his Bible upside down and backwards. Not even his Bible. Um, and the police, instead of, you know, peacefully clearing the square and telling everybody, hey, the president's going to be in here. You got to go. They form ranks, they wait for the command, and then they violently clear everyone from the square. These are people that had previously just been doing things like speaking and holding up signs. Um, and I also want to point out that they, one of the people even did that to, and they weren't even protesting, was actually the one in charge of the church. That's themselves. a new one for me. Hadn't heard that. Yeah, it was like the person, like, because they were just there on business, but because of the chaos of the situation, my guess is they couldn't tell the difference between them and everybody else. So I'm not going to act like that she was, they, she was targeted or anything like that. But yeah, well, they is, pushed her out of the way of the church. This situation, the way Lafayette Square was handled, else. actually has come up a lot in conversation <laughs> uh, between me and my dad and other law enforcement professionals. Yeah. Because also during the, the, the course of clearing Lafayette Square, on the scene at the time was an Australian news team. And they're covering the protest and the police response to the protest and how the protesters behaving and all this shit. And when the order is given to clear the square, the police line pushes forward and this news team is behind a corner from them around a blind corner. Uh, I think it's a stone wall and a cop that's on that end of the line comes around the corner, looks at the two people holding. There's a, there's a sound tech. There's a guy with a $15,000 TV camera. There's a woman with a microphone. They're all wearing press credentials. And instead of doing what I would consider to be his job and taking a moment to recognize that these people are not protesters and I need to ask them to leave. He comes around the corner and immediately gut punches the guy with the camera with his riot shield. And I don't mean like leans into the shield and pushes into, I mean like shield edge full force punch in the stomach with a riot shield pulls back and hits him again as he's on the way to the ground. And this has caused an international incident because they were live broadcasting to Australia at the time. Like that, that was covered live on the news in Melbourne. Uh, the thought going through my head right now is that situation is the closest thing I feel like we have in real life today. Uh, since I'm just a geek and I always go back to fiction to the battle of Yonkers in world war Z and oral history of the zombie wars. It is well, that much of a, the only a, just one a total like fuck up either. They're, they're, I'd have to look up the details if we need them, but there was also the son of a UN diplomat <laughs> killed by police last week. Oh, Holy shit. I didn't uh, hear yeah, about here, this look one. That up. You guys talk about whatever. While I get the details on that, we'll revisit it. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. I feel like a big problem of this is this is all Trump wanting to show strength and showing the nation. This is how you handle protesters completely. And considering these protests all started because of a very clear case of police brutality, like the fact that he doesn't see where that would have the opposite effect of what he's going for. And I'm like, if people were going to be cowed by this, then they would be protesting something other than obvious cases of and, brutality, and now, I think, from authority. Th- this is where I mind. get this disclaimer, right? If I were a more paranoid, more prone to conspiracy theory individual, uh, I would put a lot more stake in the fact that very shortly before he gave that speech that we're talking about, 
he was on the phone with Vladimir Putin. Like that. <laughs> okay, can I just take a moment to say how sad it is that uh, I've had that same feeling, you, that same sentiment you just expressed a lot, that lately more and more it feels like you have to find a way to explain something where you don't right. come across like a crazy conspiracy theorist. You can't be cynical enough nowadays. One of In my fact, favorite YouTubers yeah. keeps saying that, but he, it, it keeps proving to be true. You can't be cynical enough. Never in my life have I related to that Russian dude and Dr. Strangelove more than when he said, our source is the New York Times. <laughs> uh, sorry, I, I know it's a bit of a tangent from what you were saying. It's just, I, I just want to let people know that honestly i i definitely see where you're coming from about how if i was a crazy conspiracy person i feel like every other thing i say about anything going on in the world for the last two or three years i've had i felt like having so to say um that. on the topic mm. of this diplomat's son who was killed right uh 39 year old memadu laman sisse mm. was shot after a car chase in georgia on friday morning according to the preliminary investigation by georgia bureau of investigation he was pronounced dead on the scene uh series of events georgia investigators say that in approximately 3:49 in the morning a police officer in snellville georgia attempted to stop his vehicle but the vehicle did not stop and a pursuit ensued officers approached the vehicle and gave verbal commands for the driver to show his hands the driver did not comply the driver then pointed a handgun at the officers officers fired at the driver and pulled back to take cover behind their patrol vehicles a SWAT team was called, and during the standoff the driver pointed his weapon and fired at SWAT officers one gcpd SWAT officer fired his weapon uh, Lair Sisse, the victim's father who works at the United Nations, said the police did not do enough to peacefully resolve the situation and also disputed that he had a gun, according to local media. Uh, Gambia intends to do an independent autopsy and uh, solicit the service, services of a private investigator to investigate the circumstances of this man's death and, if necessary, hire a lawyer to sue the Georgia State Police. Uh, they're not going to let it go. Um, <laughs> Gambia's Ministry of Foreign they. Affairs asked its embassy in Washington, yeah. D.C. to engage the relevant U.S. authorities, including the State State Department, to seek okay. transparent, credible, and objective Point. investigation. Okay, point of clarity for me. You said this ambassador's son pulled a gun um, on the police? Gambia's Somebody in an official capacity okay, for Gambia, either right. this All right. diplomat. I don't think he's an ambassador. Let me look up his name and see what his official capacity is. Um, either way, I just kind of want to take a moment to point out that if this had happened under normal circumstances, that's what would be called a red ball. Which, uh, for those who don't know what a red ball is, that's any situation where it's like basically the entire police are pulled are called in, regardless of their department, to take care to like basically uh for lack of a way to put it solve the crime because of its high political standing so okay let's just say that uh if this was the normal circumstances where so, diplomat's son was killed it would be handled a lot differently in the situation <laughs> the man's father lairsa say is a retired gambian diplomat who currently works for the united nations development program so he's an employee of the United Nations. I don't know if his son is here in a diplomatic capacity. I don't know if this car had diplomatic plates. I don't know if this individual had diplomatic immunity. I don't have all of the details. Um, but 
it's at least the second instance of somebody who is probably a foreign national being assaulted by the police of the United States in the last two weeks. Uh, and not in connection with the protests. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think we can sum up everything. Uh, I, I think with this, my, this has gone too my far. My favorite way <laughs> to express the severity of the situation in the United States as it currently exists is to point out that uh, retired General James Mattis, one of the most apolitical, most competent, and most well-liked military leaders our nation has seen in the last 25 years, wrote a condemnation of the president where he directly compares the president to actual Nazis. And if you're getting Jim Mattis to say some shit like that, something has gone terribly sideways somewhere further back in the process. The times we live in are just insane. I wish I could say something else like that. And I wish I was I could say something more original and profound, but that's the only way I can sum it up. Yeah, things are getting fucking crazy out there. And we still got... What is that noise? I do Did somebody put somebody through a paper shredder? Hmm. Right? Mm, somebody had... Uh information on Hillary Clinton's crimes, I guess. <clears throat> but <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, there's a maintenance situation in my apartment that was just popped up in the middle of this recording. That's why I had to step out a couple of times. So, if I if I hear that coming on, I'll mute my microphone. Gotcha. All right, so let's go ahead and, and take a quick sponsor break, and we'll come back buy and get a, dive some more into this. Don't buy Soylent <laughs> But it's for people who love people. Well, I mean... No, it's not. I mean, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Soylent Green is... Hannibal Lecter approves. People. Don't say things the, uh, like the that. The expansion people pack believe. for The Sims lets you kill people <laughs> and recycle them in the salads. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as you're staying vegan. God damn vegans! So, so this segment brought to you by Soylent Green, uh, Hannibal's Chianti, and also They're Hannibal's fava beans. Apparently. <laughs> All right, there's Gerald. Welcome back. Mm-hmm. So, heck of a conversation so far. And there's everybody else. So, welcome back. Hey. So, continue. I don't know what else is there to what else is there to say. I don't know. We've we've kind of been dancing around an unspecific list of topics as they regard the current state of affairs in the United States. Um, I don't know if there's anything more specific we'd like to talk talk about, any specific issues we'd like to do a further exploration of. 
Well, I was uh I was listening to Trevor Noah because everyone I, I've actually been that's actually what I've been doing a lot this week, just listening to other people's views on what's going on. And a lot of it will and a lot of people will be like, Well, it's still no excuse for rioting, they shouldn't be rioting. And I also don't condone the rioting. <clears throat> and as we've already stated, it's not a lot of the peaceful protesters. It's just people taking advantage of the situation. But you also have to understand that it that the riots that not the ones taking advantage, but the riots that are just breaking out in response to the violence of police officers who are supposed to be de-escalating the conflict, but are actually escalating it. Uh, Trevor Noah brought up, a, a, I think, a really good point is that society is a social contract. Society is just a group of people who goes, these are the rules we are going to live by. That is for the safety and prosperity of everyone involved. So when you have a group, groups of people who feel like that social contract is not being upheld, their only real recourse at that point is just burn it down. Once again, this isn't condoning it, but it's like, what other option do you give a person when they watch when when they watch basically what would be considered their opposition continually break that social contract with no repercussions? Well, then that social hmm. contract doesn't really mean anything to them, right? That contract no longer means anything. So because human society for all of our laws they're they're just written words. They don't mean anything unless we all believe in them and follow them. You're right. And um I would be 100% on board with you and not condoning the riots in any capacity. Uh if systemic racism and police brutality were the only issues we currently have in the United States. But there's a lot of other ones and there's a yeah, okay, the the major protests are all about black lives matter and police brutality, but we live in a, in a country where people are mostly represented to those in power by the value of their labor and how, you know, Jeff Bezos can make money off of you. We have a minimum wage that hasn't gone up significantly in a lot of years. We have general wages that haven't kept up with the cost of living since 1975. And I mean, I've seen it slung around a lot uh, to quote Martin Luther King Jr. A riot is the, you know, the voice of the unheard it is a, uh, the fuck is that quote? I know the one you're talking about. I can't remember exactly, but I think voice of the unheard is like uh, the riot is the unheard, the voice of the unheard. Uh, is the unheard making right. their voice known. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't like, I, I didn't want to repeat that because I'm a white guy. And there's been a lot of white people throwing around Martin Luther King quotes to try to justify their outrage at the protest. And Martin Luther King would want to be peaceful about this and all this other shit. And all I have to say to that is, you know, we don't know that because they killed him. Uh, it's, it's almost like white people forget that he was assassinated probably by the FBI. Uh, but you have a, 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 the, the poorer classes of people in the United States who don't even the white ones, man, a lot of us don't have the means 
to improve our lot in life. We're stuck working a series of jobs for lower wages than we can really afford to live on for a bunch of people who continue to enrich themselves regardless of whether or not the world is getting better or worse. Because of COVID-19 and the increase in online sales of literally everything, Jeff Bezos is set, to, set up to be the world's first private trillionaire. So if people are taking advantage of the current situation, the current unrest in the United States to you know, riot against businesses that they've worked for that treated them poorly or to loot and steal the things that you know, we've been taught are symbols of status and wealth in the United States – like a fucking pair of Jordans or an iPhone. Uh, I can't say that I honestly blame them. Yeah. Well, and I think the worst part about that is I think most people don't want to be seen like living the lavish life. They just like to know that by doing what they are quote unquote supposed to, that they can feed their family keep a roof over their head and have their bills paid. And I would agree yeah. with you if we didn't live in a country where consumerism is, you know, pounded into us from an early age. Look at the latest doodad you can buy. Look at the latest thing you can do. Look at these new shoes. Yeah, you just paid $250 for a pair of shoes last year, but or last week or last month, but here's this new pair of shoes cost $300 and if you don't have it, man, your friends are going to tell you you're poor. Hey, look, we come out with a new mm. iPhone every or year. Or you're uncool. Which I like that we it got to a point where now I, I feel like that feels more like an older way of advertising things. So the problem now is that if you say people, if you tell people like if you don't have that, you're poor. Really, now we just reached the point where we're just dejected enough to be like, that's because I'm poor. <laughs> it's too many people are that for it to really be a claim of shame anymore, except for those who are so privileged that they fail to realize that like. The majority of the people now, the ones who are supposed to be putting the money into that economy, feel that yeah. way. I feel like that's an entirely separate subject. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does tie into where a lot of this unrest is coming from. I mean, when you get right down to it, like the George Floyd situation is just a catalyst. Something was going to do this eventually. Because just too many people for too long, and for the last few years, it's been coming more and more to a head. I've just been looking at this, and it's just been like, we've had enough. And we've put up yeah, with a lot. I, we yeah. put up with more than we should. But it, that's also because it's institutionalized in us, from, in us from a young age that we're supposed to. Like, the, the yeah. American dream is you go out, you work hard, you become successful, you're good. But that's not the way it works. Like some of the hardest workers are the ones who get shit on the most. And some of the richest people in the world didn't have to work for what they have. Most of the richest people in the world. Yeah. So it so you you put it you you are you are raised with this idea of work hard, hang in there, you'll do better, and then you don't. And then you see someone working half as hard or not at all do better. And and I was I was like I was talking to Squid about this as well. I was like, you even if this was a conspiracy where it's like keep them divided. By keeping them divided, we keep them off balance. We can control the populace better. 
But what they're really doing is they're just setting the foundation for revolutions that have been happening historically. Like every revolution has started with everyone going, oh, they're fucking you over too? I thought it was just <laughs> me. Like, oh, it, they're, oh, they're just doing it to all of us. Oh, well, then screw that. Burn it all down. <laughs> like, even before the George Floyd thing happened, I was already starting to notice some serious parallels with what eventually led to the French Revolution. Hopefully, we won't go that route, because I think we all know where that ended. Well, I mean, well, they did. <laughs> but it, a lot of the complaints that led to the French Revolution, the citizens revolting, are complaints we have I mean, now. I, I think the, the biggest problem is that we live in a society where you got to move around a lot, and it's really hard to make a portable guillotine. <laughs> oh, no one's gonna worry about guillotines in this day and age. Like yeah. people are really into homebrew shit. <laughs> you will, and to be fair, no matter where you are, there's always gonna be that one person who's like, "Oh yeah, I built one of those in my backyard. It's portable." And in, in before Elon Musk makes a company <laughs> entirely designed around the sale, uh, the manufacture, and marketing and sale of portable guillotines. Elon Musk. Entirely from I, see, material. I could see that. <laughs> it would pop up the next day on Amazon and be their number one item during the revolution. <laughs> and the sad thing is Jeff Bezos oh, will just right? make more money off of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and this is also what gets me about and, and when, remember this is a global protest at this point. This isn't just happening in America. We've mentioned this is globally and a lot of those global protests aren't just protesting the George Floyd incident, murder. It, it was a murder, period. I don't know how he got off with second yeah. degree. That was murder. It was damn near premeditated. Okay. Because so, um, I watched that uh, video. No, actually, I know enough about law that actually is second degree. First degree would be actually extremely difficult because to prove. Because that, that would require premeditation. That's just in my opinion. That, that is in my opinion. I, I understand yeah. that is just my opinion from having watched um, the video. Um, no, I get that. And it's, uh, but if, and I will point out that if they did go for first degree, it would still put second and third degree on the well, table so if third they degree, wanted to. Oh, that's fine. Third degree murder doesn't uh, but exist the thing universally with, within our country. It, it exists as a thing in Minnesota, and that's what they originally charged him with, was third degree murder and second degree manslaughter. But now he's been upgraded to third degree murder or second degree murder, second degree manslaughter. And the well, manslaughter is third degree. In murder. some places, that's how you'd have to charge that. In Minnesota, they're different crimes. Uh, because okay. third degree murder is a thing that, for example, doesn't exist in North Dakota. It's not a thing you can charge somebody with in North Dakota. Yeah. But in Minnesota, they have third degree murder as a chargeable offense. Um. And right. they were separate charges, third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. But they've upgraded him to second-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter. And they've charged all of the other, the three other officers that were on the scene with aiding and abetting a murder. Yeah, but Which I don't know why should. it took them more than a week. Like, Let's be honest. If it wasn't for the situation, they wouldn't have been charged. They wouldn't even have been fired. If they if it hadn't grown so far out of w their usual proportion, well, no, it's not even thrown out of proportion. The problem is, I feel like it's the first time. I don't know how to explain this, but if 
thing, if we lived in a perfect world, then this response would be would be out of proportion. But the problem is that this has happened so often that it doesn't matter that it's all because of this one situation. It's kind of proportional. I would argue that now. you're correct. And this is, this is where I get to bring in earlier conversations I've had with other people and statistics into it. Okay? So uh, I'm going to quote some statistics here from a... Uh, a study done by Dolan Consulting Group, Consulting Group, right? And these were statistics that they're poorly presented, they're poorly tabulated. They're uh, Dolan Consulting Group is a company run by ex-cops or by an an ex-cop and his sons that sell consulting and training services exclusively to law enforcement. So it's not like they're an unbiased source, right? Um, well, as soon as you say the statistics, I want you to give me a moment to point out something about statistics that I feel like everybody either doesn't know or We'll go or for it right now because I'm, I'm looking for the numbers so, so I can quote them perfectly. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying even if you were – no matter how objective and above board you are with the gathering of data for statistics, it's still going to be biased. It's impossible not to do it. Ask anybody who works in um, – statistics and they'll tell you that the uh, the whole point of it is to sort of oversimplify a truth under the best of circumstances by using real information and saying this is what it tells you. but at the same time you have things like who are the people you went to that uh, to use as your control group are they truly reflective of the group you're talking about um is it including like the they cannot in any way shape or form if you're doing statistics actually consider uh what's what i would call the x factor like un un you know circumstances that you cannot possibly predict but still affect your data it can't account for that so even under the best of circumstances statistics are not trustworthy. That's why the main point is statistics are not proof. They're at best suggestions yeah. of reality. Um, statistics is just data you can use to inform a discussion or an opinion. Statistics don't represent right. fact. And, and unless we had perfect data collection across the board globally for the actions and reactions to every individual in every interaction they have with another individual, as long as statistics are imperfect, they cannot be constituted as proof. Um, exactly. But so I, I was having a discussion with an individual, my father, who is hopefully never going to hear this. Um, <laughs> if it helps, um, as someone who does not know your father and seeing that he said a lot of things that disagree with you, your father actually sounds like a really nice dude. And I would love to like, have and a you know what? I'd, I would love someday. to have had all of these conversations with him verbally in person, uh, you know, over a beer and a cigar because <laughs> on social media, you don't get inflection. You don't get body language. You don't get expression. And it makes everything a lot tenser. It makes all of these discussions a lot less pleasant to have than they could be. Not that they're particularly pleasant to begin with, but we, I was having a discussion with him because he, he's a guy that grew, he, you know, he's born in the late sixties, uh, adopted by a well-off white family in suburban Maryland, not far from DC. And my grandfather was a guy that worked himself through college and law school, became a judge, ran for Maryland legislature and lost. This was a well-off dude that managed to pull himself up by his bootstraps at a time in our country where that was actually possible. And my dad is a, a you know, white cop of 35 or 40 years who now works as the editor-in-chief for a company that runs the largest law enforcement online magazine in the country. Uh, so he's still involved heavily in law enforcement and that community. 
and he was categorically denying that white privilege was a thing that existed or that there was a problem with systemic racism in the police force of the United States. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking about a, a guy I know who's similar to that. And he's a friend of mine, and his defense, he means well. But I remember how he said he didn't like the Black Panther movie because he says he doesn't feel there should have been any racial politics in it. And he literally said this in, 2019, in 2018 because there are no racial wow. tensions okay. in the country. Uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> not, not even to touch on. So it's clear, it's pretty obvious it a lot of people are really nice off base with to reality. live in his world. That's a, dude, that is a big part of white privilege. Know, right? And it's a part of white privilege that I didn't understand. Like, I grew yeah. up in Prince George's County, Maryland. As living, growing up as a white dude in one of the only places in the country where white people are the minority, <laughs> it was really hard to see the advantage yeah. that I had because I was white. And I didn't get an introduction to racism until some shitty black kids decided they didn't like me because I was white. Um, and I'm going to add to that slightly further because I know you got a thing to say after that by pointing out that I spent the first 10 years like I'm half white. And my for the before my parents got divorced, my father had this really high paying job. I think he was making like six figures a year or something like that. And this was like 1980, roughly 1988 to 1992. And there are a lot of problems, like speaking as a person who is a person of color, like being half white doesn't change that or affect it anyway. I didn't realize a lot of these freaking problems because once you're at a certain level of society, it's really easy right. to hide them from somebody. Um, but on the topic specifically of systemic racism within the police force, the statistics my dad shared, right, to try to support his position that this was not a problem. Um Let's just look at real quick. There's a table in this study, and I can I can link it if people want to see it. Um, is a a table comparisons of cop killers and those killed by police. I'm not even going to touch on how that language is specifically designed to predispose you to think a certain way about a certain group of people. I'm just going to take it at face value. We have four categories on the table. African-Americans, Hispanics, non-Hispanic whites, and other non-whites, right? His argument is that 83% mm -hmm. of persons killed by the police are non-Hispanic whites. And that only 42% of people killing the police are non-Hispanic whites. But if you look at African-Americans on this table, they make up 26% of people killed by the police. And this is 2015. Uh, but they make up 33% of people responsible for killing cops and like that house somehow justifies it like okay so you you don't see the fact that this indicates a greater than normal percentage of negative interactions between a largely white police force and the african-american community uh never mind the fact that African-Americans yeah, well, only make up 6% of the population of the United States. I think it's like 6.6% .6 as of the last census. Well, sadly, to me, this brings up a whole point with just everybody just randomly who knows nothing about statistics trying to use them is statistics is about putting that information out there with the least amount of context. And even like you said, how you use the language is pretty much the only context you're getting. Like, for example, you know, like I said, this is a percentage of how many are cop killers. Like you just pointed out, there's already that 
factor of like a primarily a group made primarily of white people and how they're having a lot of negative interactions for what to us will seem like obvious reasons with a group made primarily of black people but also there's the fact that it may, you may be seeing seeing the percentage but what it's not giving you is how many cops are killed versus citizens in police related it's incidents. not it's not telling and you the that rest at of all the statistics in this study by the way the study is titled uh dispelling the myths surrounding police use of lethal force and then the first table presented in this study is the annual prevalence of deaths in the u.s police shooting deaths criminal homicides falls traffic accidents accidental poisonings suicides and medical errors on which table the 990 police shootings that occurred in 2015 and according to cdc mortality data for 2014 um, are the smallest category as if to say, well, look, it's 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 an insignificant number of people that are killed by the police. This isn't a problem. Um, I already have a problem with just that the, uh, headliner. The next <laughs> table is annual assaults on police. And this was another point that came up in the argument that my dad, like, and this was the most absurd shit I'd ever heard. The, to quote directly, this report shows that in 2014, 1,950 police officers were assaulted with firearms. Now, just think about that one number, 1,950 assaulted with a firearm. If every person who attacked a police officer with a firearm in 2014 had been shot dead, the number of killed by police would be 1,950 and not the 429 people who were killed by police in 2014. As if to say, look, we didn't kill nearly as many people as we could have. I mean, not to mention, to be what's fair, the total number that, of cops in the US? To be fair, under the current circumstances and what we've been seeing of police, that might actually really be something they should be proud of. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the other thing. And my brother tried to bring up a table trying to say something like that, too. And I pointed this out like, OK, let's look at the worst case scenario of a police related uh, police caused death and out like in the actual george floyd situation where they get away with it then that person is getting no time off or reprimand if they do it's just something very minor compared to what they did like you know you may like you there's a part of procedure you didn't follow in there right um they will all if they either alter uh, like a cause of death in the report or several details in the report, or if they don't, or if they do acknowledge them, they will just point out that that's just a possibility. And if what it comes down to, when you get to the point where as far as the butt goes, they just say, well, we decided they didn't do anything wrong. Oh, then no, that no, will no, not no. be put in the statistic, even if just basic well, there, common sense actually, says I can explain it this because the next table, well, not the next one, but they, there's another table in this study done, right, that is annual deaths of African-American males. And it separates them into categories, police shootings, criminal homicides, falls, traffic accidents, accidental poisoning, suicides, and drowning, of which accidental poisonings are the largest category uh, by far. And police shootings are the smallest category at 248 with criminal homicides at 6,789. I would suggest that this indicates not that police shootings are an insubstantial number of African-American males killed, but that the police are reporting like when a cop doesn't get away with it, right? Cop A kills black guy B with a gun. If this is found to be 
acceptable within the line of duty, this was justified, that gets reported as statistically as a police shooting. If this cop is then fired and charged and arraigned and you know convicted and all that other shit, this goes from being a police shooting to being a criminal homicide and isn't isn't reported as being a cop killing a black guy. It's this black guy died as a result of a criminal homicide. And then there's the other thing that's underlying in all this, which is they're doing, it feels like as these charts go on, they're doing more and more and more to signal out, to single out like black civilians or black non-police officer civilians, because technically the police are civilians too. But to single out that group while doing everything they can to make sure you're not comparing it to any other group. Like you said, like, the, oh, accidental poisoning is the number one thing. Well, it's easy for somebody looking at be like, well, I guess black people are stupid. But at the same time, do they say – do they do a similar one for like non-Hispanic Caucasians where you see that there's just like an equal number or higher or lower of accidental poisonings? So who's to say if you are going to go by that divide – who is dumber or smarter or anything else like that. And they're purposely, it feels like leaving out as much as they can, unless it'll help their purpose, how it affects basically uh, people right. who look and, and act more like them. That's that's I, I tried to point this out to him when we were having this discussion with these, these statistics are obviously biased and they're not even trying to hide it. Uh, the last table, and I'm surprised yeah. they in, they incorporated this at all. The last graph they share in this study is diversity among American law enforcement officers according to census data in 2010. And according to that, right, white people, non-Hispanic white people make up 72.7% of police officers in the United States in 2010, despite the fact that non-Hispanic whites are only 66.4% of the U.S. population. So you have a majority white police force that is even more majority white than the majority white population of the country they're supposed to be serving, of the communities they're supposed to be serving. And then if you go back to the other table, you have 33% of cops killed in the line of duty in 2015 killed by black people. Why? I, I would look at this as an indication that there is a an above- average number of negative interactions between a largely white police force and the African-American community cops and the, the target demographic for this study is cops. We'll look at this and go, well, then cops are maybe you know, the, the black people are just doing more to make cops kill them. And completely ignore the fact that they're living in poorer areas where they have fewer opportunities. They may feel like the only way they can make yeah, it to the next white day is to do something that's illegal. Out of the equation. It's... <laughs> yeah. Well, if you do that, then you can't claim it's all their fault. <laughs> David, I apologize. If we've gone deeper down this rabbit hole than you wanted us to, or if there were other specific topics you wanted us to touch on. I feel like we're debating without a moderator. Oh, yeah, we're fine. I don't know exactly if we're uh, we're doing it right, you know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I call this debate. There seems to be very little disagreement I mean, among all there among all of us. <laughs> but we are pointing out the other side of the view, though. We're just pointing out this why true. we. It, it's hard to. It, it's hard to not have similar opinions without someone just actually believing the absolute there's, there's, opposite right you need someone who outright believes well also and is willing to have the even if we were to pretend 
Yeah. Even if we pretended that we had like computer levels of objectivity here, there's just so much that goes to a very specific uh, that goes to the ideological side versus it's a versus the um its opponent here that it's almost impossible for so that to not like basically put if you're one of those I think it's safe to say fewer number of the population that believes the problem isn't what's being protested, but the protest you're, you're going to argue this is biased because quite frankly, all the objective information so, is kind of on the protest. I can't argue that, but let's, it, let's, let's go for an exercise here, right? <laughs> um, hypothetical situation. I, I think, okay, let's, let's just assume from the beginning that systemic racism is no longer a problem in the United States. I can't assume this. I have trouble understanding why anybody would assume this, but we're in we're, So we're sure. in Wakanda. Let's assume for the sake of this next exercise that systemic racism is not a problem in the United States. We have millions of people protesting in the United States, protesting against police brutality and a perceived systemic injustice within the system against the African-American community, the black community. Why does that perception exist? That's a point that keeps popping into my head over and over and over again. It's like so many people want to not have the conversation and I'm just like, well, yeah, but you have to stop and ask, where is that coming from? And too many people aren't bothering to like, answer the question by like looking things up, finding sources and finding information. They just use their own minds to come to that conclusion. And it never occurs to them that what they're doing is trying their best to fit the, fit the true, the inconvenient truths that work against their narrative into their narrative. It almost and feels so they like the matrix. So we're all living in our own little matrix. <laughs> the answer that people on the police side of the argument will give you when they're asserting that there is no problem with systemic racism. And the, the reason this perception exists is because the mainstream media latches onto every negative interaction between the police and the African-American community and overreports it. Um, and this is the point where I get to dis discuss the way United States is doing things in a way that isn't necessarily the best way we could and the way other countries are doing it in a way that could be better specifically the United States versus Germany, because Germany is a country that has to be perfectly and constantly aware of its past and how it informs the present. In Germany, they have freedom of speech. You can say whatever the fuck you want in Germany, but the press has specific limits on freedom of the press as it relates to freedom of speech. You cannot say things in the press in Germany that might be seen as as having a positive attitude towards or promoting the ideals of fascism or national socialism. But in the United States, if you get into an argument with a human being who tells you that the press has too much freedom and that they're over-reporting the negative interactions with the police and you tell them, well, you know, there's, What's Fox News doing? Because you trust Fox News to tell you the truth all the time. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's right there with how people are like the problems, the media, and then they give you a whole bunch of like uh, 
facts, and I use that with quotation marks, that they got from right another source um, of media. And it's usually not even one that's <laughs> like as well known or as universally accepted. Like if I'm going to the media to try to find as accurate information as I possibly can nowadays, I'm looking at the BBC. I'm looking at you know NPR because the BBC. <laughs> the BBC has a is it exists at basically the pleasure of Queen Elizabeth, and it is part of their royal contract that they have to report the news as factually and unbiased as they possibly can. Because at any point, if they say some untrue shit and it pisses off the Queen, she can just shut them the fuck down. Um, the National Public Radio is funded by taxpayer dollars and they have a directive from the government to report the news as factually and unbiased as they possibly can. Fox news, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, they don't have these restrictions in place. And a lot of people say, well, this, you know, that, that lets them just over report and blow things out of proportion. And they can say unfactual shit all the fuck they want. And, you know, I got two things to say to that. You're right. It does. That's because the first amendment guarantees the freedom of the press I guess, unless the cops want to hit them in the face, which has been a thing that's happened recently a lot. Um, but also that doesn't, re- <laughs> that, that doesn't remove the individual citizen's responsibility to, you know, fact check to the shit they hear. I have a question. Is anybody else? And it's happened to me several times to the point where it's like one of those things where it's happened enough times. I have trouble thinking of a specific situation but i'm assuming it's happened to everybody else too and i just asking this for confirmation has anyone else had that situation where somebody tells them that oh you just think that because of the media and they overreported it and you're just sitting here and you're, the thought going through your head is like my source is the unedited video released by the person you're trying to defend that makes them look bad or something like that like your source is the actual source not the media you know, yeah not just that, that, the media. that was the point i was about to touch on is that the protests being fueled here are not necessarily or even actually at all being informed by CNN or MSNBC and how they're covering George Floyd's death or the protests resulting from it. We have first-hand accounts. We're not relying on tertiary sources. We're relying on the raw video footage of the event in question. And this is a thing that we as a nation, we as a society have an advantage in that we didn't have before. If this shit had happened in 1865, everybody would be relying on the newspaper to tell them what the fuck was going on. And it would all be a huge political deal because it would depend entirely on which sources you trusted, which ones you didn't. And I think and there would be fistfights in bars and in the street about who was right. And I think that's a big part of that generational divide with how they're getting their information because they're still getting it from what they trusted when right. they were younger, which is television. And like even a casual viewer of YouTube videos can tell you how no matter how well-intentioned it is, how it's heavily edited, things are changed, how you can use the true, actual truth and facts to declare a narrative that is not actually true you know as a gotcha moment for people like i kind of i'm kind of happy we live in a day and age like where uh, as, as strangely enough for lack of a better way to put it uh, um it's good we it's good that most people a lot of people are stupid because we look at that situation with the um the guy who was jogging Ahmed and then Aubrey. was chased down for a citizen's arrest by a couple of white guys 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, him. And the reason we got that video is because one of the three guys who were part of that group who filmed the whole thing made that public to a media outlet because hey, he thought that would help unjustly their chasing case. and beating the fuck out of and eventually killing a black <laughs> dude. We were totally right because, you know, he's black and we all know how them black people do. Yeah. And... But then again, that's another case of the media overdoing it. That when the criminals incriminate themselves with their own evidence that yeah. they release to the public. Um, which actually, ironically <laughs> enough, remind is, that reminds me of the purpose of the Fifth Amendment, right? Which brings me to a problem I think we're going to have in the George Floyd case. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that now that he's been arrested and charged, making the assumption that he somehow lives to see trial because now he's in the U.S. prison system. Uh, by some miracle, let's say yeah. he goes to see trial, I think we're going to have a very real problem with selecting an unbiased jury. Because there isn't anybody in the planet yeah. with access to the internet or television Especially now. that hasn't been informed about the situation. Right. <laughs> like In extreme detail. I would argue the, the the global public has never been more informed of a crime, an actual crime, in than now. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's kind of a ridiculous situation we find ourselves in, where unfortunate. I, I I think this is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I absolutely believe that Officer Chauvin did. He he was fucked up, and a man died. There is a crime that's been committed. I think it's commensurate with second degree murder. I'm not a lawyer, a judge, whatever. But this uh, this man who committed this Me neither, crime but I agree. is quite likely to be denied justice in a perfect world where the justice system works the way it's supposed to because we're not going to be able to implement the, ch yeah. that, the system to work the way it's supposed to work. My dad made that point a lot. He's like, well, do you want to fucking lynch the guy then, man? You've already convicted him in your head. I'm like, no, dad, I've seen the evidence, and I believe this. I still believe that Officer Chauvin should have his day in court. Yeah. He should be able to plead the way he wants to fucking plead. Lawyers should be able to do their thing. The jury should be able to do their thing. At the end of the day, I personally hope that he gets convicted of second-degree murder. And it's Minnesota, so they're not going to kill him because they don't have the fucking death penalty. Like... I'm not calling for this man's head on a stick. I'm calling for justice. Yeah. Like, I'm hoping he makes it to trial. And I'm actually hoping that he, they are protecting him in prison so that he can live to trial. And I'm hoping they'll be wise enough to realize that because of the fervor of this, they will have to keep protecting him in prison. Not because I think he deserves any kind of leniency, but because well, I see, agree with you. That's what justice is in this situation. And, and this man should have to live should. with the consequences um, of his actions. I'm, I'm not convinced that... I, I'm one of those people who supports the death penalty because a lot of reasons that's a separate discussion i don't want to go down that fucking rabbit hole um mm -hmm. yeah i know that that's that's right. about four or five different episodes but of any I, podcast i can't honestly least. say and, that uh, i trust yeah. the prison system in the united states to keep him safe until his trial date which i mean if anybody was smart would be expedited and given priority um but like fucking epstein Manages to supposedly kill himself in a prison cell under guard by two federal officers. <laughs> uh, 
And that was an uber-rich, older white guy. So if anybody was going to get their day in court. The problem is that the power structure in the United States doesn't want him to get his day in court. I mean, let's face it, asterisk, this is my opinion based on my reading of the facts that may or may not be better informed than your reading of the facts. Please, nobody shut down David's podcast because I'm about to say that Epstein didn't kill himself. But I mean, I I can't think of another group of people, (laughs) another specific individual especially a wealthy individual that has had more than 50 of their friends spontaneously commit suicide than the Clintons. Like. <laughs> I mean, the Clintons friends well, all do seem to be quite unstable, don't they? <laughs> oh, don't get the, Oh God, that talk about going down a rabbit hole there. Um, but in regards to that, I'm like looking at the officer Chauvin and the situation. Like I'm not surprised that there were reports that he's on suicide watch because he is right now at this moment in time, at best, the second most hated man in this country. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right. That's what really sucks about the situation is if we do try to do it right, uh, like honestly, I feel like the only way you can give him a fair jury, and even that's debatable, is you kind of have to break what I'm pretty sure is constitutional law and get people from outside of the country who maybe are not as aware of the situation than the American public generally would be about most so, criminal situations to act as the jury two countries and I can just think of hope for the, the best. Where people might be uninformed enough about the situation to act as a jury in the George Floyd case are Iran and China. <laughs> Everywhere else <laughs> is either... That was perfect. That was the exact amount of time I needed to use the bathroom. <laughs> that was once again a uh, connection issue. Lost connection. Yep, it sure was. Figured as much. But, uh, Is there something to... about this where it's maybe on a timer or something? Because I think we went for the better part of an hour last time. It kicked out too. Uh, I I've wondered that sometimes, especially when we first started this, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it feels but, like just before it's about to hit the 60-minute mark is when it seems to happen. Yeah, but uh, before we got disconnected, I wanted to agree with Nick that I also believe Epstein didn't kill himself. I don't think so either. Going back to what I said earlier, uh, where I say I sympathize with your need to point out that you're not a conspiracy theorist when you say these things. Mm. And it's like, uh, uh, this will be controversial, but how can I put this? Um, put it. Uh, politically speaking, especially in their the first few uh, the first few years of his presidency, I agree with a lot of the things the Clintons did or were trying to do for the betterment of society. But I do honestly, sincerely believe that they are definitely behind closed doors, horrible people. <laughs> that's that's. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, well, there's just too much which when you look at them specifically devoid of any politics there's just too much questionable stuff there for me really believe that they're trustworthy is the best way i can think of to put it yeah from from what i understand a secret service agent uh well what was it she they were over overseas and uh, a military dog handler's dog like sniffed hillary she just fucking went off. 
I believe it. But she, yeah, but yeah, not that I want to get. Well, uh, let's be honest. This is an episode. It's impossible to not get political. It's just a question of how far into the political void we're going to go. As far as you want. Yeah. Right now, I just feel like with the way the world is, I, I am constantly feeling a need more and more to reread both Transmetropolitan and World War Z and oral history of the zombie wars. Hmm. With the occasional in, with the occasional needs to take a look at V for Vendetta. <laughs> that was something yeah. I was like, I I kind of spent the last couple of days since you said this would be the topic. I was th- thinking I was going to be saying at the beginning of this was like, I feel like we are the perfect group to discuss what's going on with the world. Because as geeks, I feel like all of our entertainment and even uh, the things we try to create have been preparing us for these circumstances. Because... You ever noticed? Have you noticed how it feels a lot like uh, ever since the pandemic started, and the the whole thing with George Floyd just kind of like put the capper on it. It feels a lot like The Last of Us, but without the fungus infected people running around killing people. <laughs> mm, well, it's a it's a kind of fungus. Yeah. No, what it's I mean, a fungus it, that be, yeah, fungus that begins with the letter R. <laughs> yeah, what I mean is just like. Seriously, all we need are people attacking other people because they're infected with a, zom- with a fungus that effectively makes them living zombies. Um, add that, and it really does feel like that part in The Last of Us where it's like, here's the new normal when you're when you're playing as Joel in the town, trying to get revenge on somebody for tr- for stealing the shipment you were trying to smuggle. Uh, just well, all of that militarized well, police stateness. You- uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, to be fair, it is only uh, June. We've still got six more months of 2020 to go. Yeah, it's... it's Man, dude, so the part of you want to build a time machine and go back four years and just be like... And go to yourself in 2016 in the middle of it and be like, this is the good one. <laughs> like, you're going... Four years from now, the next election year, you're going to be like, man, I missed 2016. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> uh Nick should be with us in a moment. Yeah. Or were you guys like me? We're like, ooh, here's an opportunity to go to the bathroom. Uh, no, I <laughs> I did not see it. I I did not see the link pop up. So oh, okay. So so I've been kind of quiet through this whole thing because uh, honestly, I don't know what I could add to the debate other than more than likely playing devil's advocate. So uh, I think we could use more of a devil's advocate, honestly. We could. Um, um, so, and I feel like all of us are at some point tried to be. It's just that it feels like you could only take devil's advocate so far with uh, this particular topic. I mean, you can take devil's advocate as far as you really want to. Uh, the the problem is finding somebody. Like we we all seem to have very similar views on this. We've all seen the same information. It's difficult to find somebody in this group of four people who could appropriately play devil's advocate from an informed position. Uh, yeah. But other than somebody providing a devil's advocate role, the other place we could take this is potential solutions. Um, well, I could offer my, um, and I, I think I've told Gerald this one, Evan, I don't know if I've told you this one, but me personally, I'm to the point where I'm tired of this shit. I think we all are. Yeah. Right. 
to to the point where the next cop that sits his knee on a black dude's neck and kills him that happened i want him drug up to the i want him drug up to the courthouse steps and shot i want to go that far and considering the fact that i was nearly shot by cops for a couple of a couple of times that's kind of saying something but that's me i perfectly understand that sentiment i mean that's cuz that's very similar to where i'm at like i'm the only reason I haven't already been out protesting and we've had several scheduled protests in Bismarck, North Dakota is because I don't feel like I could do it in good faith in keeping with what the protesters want to be their message. I can't in good conscience go out and protest unarmed. And for me too, I also have not been able to uh, go out and protest those for a different reason. It's because I did not forget we're still in the middle of a pandemic and I cannot risk going to such a large gathering because I have a roommate who is high. Like pretty much if I get the virus, it's practically a death sentence for him. See, that, I'm glad you brought that up. Well, that's – oh, let me say a, one more thing real quick before you go on. I do want to point out to other people hmm. who are in a similar position. That doesn't mean you do nothing because uh, you're my Facebook friend, David. So I'm sure you noticed I've been putting up tons and tons of like articles and things like that because I feel like I may not be able to go out there, but I can at least – keep people as informed as possible yes i have seen the articles and there's there was another one uh but that, that's a that's a different different thing but um so yeah evidently uh coronavirus does not spread during protests we don't know yet those numbers we're not at the point yet where those numbers can come out the increased numbers we're seeing now are from memorial day to help give people a timeline yeah, the, the incubation period right. on COVID-19 is 7 to 14 days. So any spike in new cases, new active cases that we're seeing during the protests cannot be accurately said to, to be attributed to these protests. Give it a couple of weeks and we'll see what effect this protest has had. But I'd like to make a point on that. We have a widespread use of tear gas and OC spray, pepper mace, pepper ball, we have video evidence of police officers walking up to people who are doing nothing more than standing there and pulling a, uh, pulling aside a gas mask or a surgical mask or a cloth mask to spray them in the face. What's the motivation? What are the possible implications of during a pandemic, during a mass protest that's happening during a pandemic, using agents that are designed to make people cough Also, I want to point this out, too, uh, just because I'm not sure when an opportunity come in, but it does need to be pointed out. Health experts, the same people who are saying right now it's not a good idea to go out in public and all that, they are supporting these protests. And ironically enough, from a health standpoint, because they're saying the kind of things that we're fighting against in the short term that will cause an increase in COVID infections. It's kind of just more or less inevitable. But in the long term. They are fighting to prevent the kind of systemic problems that help to allow something like this to spread as much as it did in the first place. Mm-hmm. Not that I want to bring up a, hey, some people got to die perspective. And I honestly don't think that's what they're saying. That's not what it is at all. They're saying that systemic issues and health issues are so interconnected, they're pretty much one and the same. I would argue that they're not. And um, so, so yeah. here's the thing. The, the problem, and here's the difference that I haven't yet managed people, like pe- the, the people on the other side of the argument that I've been talking to don't seem to understand is that 
there is a difference between nature doing a thing that we then have to control to our best ability to prevent the, the largest number of deaths we can possibly prevent and a piece of the system we've built for ourselves actively killing a subset of people that exist within that, within that system. Uh, I agree. I am not disagreeing with that in any way, shape or form, but there's also, we have to acknowledge that a lot of those, a lot of what you're talking about ties in directly to why COVID-19 has been affecting black communities far more than almost any other group. And it's and it's like I said, there's there's just a lot of interconnectedness between the two. There's there's a lot to unpack there, and honestly, I I, yeah. like, I can't separate. The, it would be unreasonable to try to separate white privilege from the reasons why the black community has been disproportionately affected by COVID nineteen. I mean, Gerald, not not to be accidentally racist here, but look at the way black people eat. Like because of the way we fed slaves in the United States. We have a tradition that is soul food in the black community. Those eating habits lead to what are now considered comorbid conditions that increase your chance of being killed by COVID-19. White privilege literally makes it easier for this disease to kill black people. Well, not only that, but a lot of the more healthier foods and stuff like that are more expensive. So you have to be paying – you have to be getting – if you're not making a bare minimum of a living wage, there's no way you can afford the cheaper food. Like literally to stay alive, you got to eat the stuff that's going to basically in the long run kill you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's... I mean, it's like I said, it's a lot of back and forth and I didn't mean to, I feel like if uh, we keep into it, I will be responsible for having slightly derailed the conversation, especially since the current topic is supposed to be potential solutions or things that at least if they're not solutions, I think which uh, what you're also including, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, David, is anything that may be like a move in the right direction. Um, yeah. I was merely suggesting potential solutions as a topic and I will admit that yeah. I'm not as educated as I'd like to be on the topic of potential solutions to reforming the police system in the United States so that it does what it's supposed to do without hurting people unnecessarily. Um, I'm going to plug a website, David, if that's all right. Uh, There is a website called joincampaignzero.org that is among the voices calling for an end to what we consider the traditional police force in the United States. My dad would fucking flip his shit if he heard me say that because before this, <laughs> b- before people even started talking about the potential of disbanding the police or defunding the police, he was like, well, that's the goal. They just want to get rid of cops. so They can do whatever the fuck they want. And join campaign doesn't just call for the, you know, the, the end of the police establishment in the United States it has a lot of educational resources on potential solutions to different pieces of it and what you can do instead of having the police do everything they're doing. If you have, you know, an addiction situation, do you, why do you send a cop when you could send somebody who's got specific training and how to handle somebody who's having a crisis with addiction or an overdose or something else? Why do you worry about Uh, what quick interruption? Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of that study that I was talking about earlier um, with the uh, body cams and how they actually don't seem to uh, stop, uh, you know, police criminal activity. Uh, part of that study was that the more institutions you have in an area to deal with certain, like, uh, like, like you were saying, like drug addiction crimes and things like that, the less 
criminal police activity you see because the police aren't dealing with everything. You have actual organizations set up to deal with those kinds of things. And I feel like also saying that it's uh, with the website you brought up does a good job of pointing out something that I think a lot of people are missing, which is there's no such thing as a singular solution to a singular problem. It's a series of solutions that require that series of problems require a series of solutions working in tandem with each other. Right. Um, One of the problems with the police establishment in the United States is that the police are expected to handle a wide variety of situations that they have at best cursory training to handle. I mean, for Christ's sake, we have a law enforcement, a law enforcement establishment in the United States that sure. A lot of people that go to be cops get a degree in criminal justice or criminology, but like I got a speeding ticket two years ago from a, a North Dakota state trooper who you know, he, he went through 18 or 19 weeks of police academy after having received a, a two-year vocational degree in welding. Because the, the police don't require you to have a degree in criminal justice. They require you to have a degree or have served honorably in the military. Like, I could go and be a cop right. in Mandan, North Dakota, Bismarck, yeah. North Dakota right now, as long as I can pass the background check. And I don't have a degree. All I have is five years of honorable service in the United States Marine Corps with no experience in law enforcement. And they depend on the police academy, which is 17 to 20 weeks long, depending on where you are in this country, to inform you well enough on the law in the United States to enforce that law. Which is, it's fucking absurd. Like, to be a lawyer in the United States takes, what, four years plus law school? Which is another two or three? Again... And passing the bar can be even more than that, depending on what kind of law you're going into. Because, like, you don't because being a lawyer isn't a blanket term for all kinds of law, right? (laughs) It's like, uh, also, uh, I do feel like a lot of what we're going to say is going to come up to this. This is one of those things I'm just putting it out there because I think it needs to be put out there, and it is something that is far easier said than done, but it does. It is a necessity for the law enforcement to do what it's actually supposed to do, which is it needs to be apolitical. And once again, that's just, just even putting it out there. I feel like the average person just hasn't even thought about that because too many law because like, well, that's where you get things. Well, that's where you have things like quotas like. You know, that's where you have things like, hey, how many how many of these cases have you cleared? You know, how many of these arrests led to convictions? So, and all of that. It needs to be less about the numbers and more about the community is basically what I, I'm saying. I, you're right. And if, if, if that's the final point, then you're right and I can't argue it. But I do take exception with the assertion that the policing in the United States has to be apolitical. More specifically, I don't think it can be apolitical in the United States as it currently exists. Well, Hold on. Hold on. I think the word I was actually looking for was nonpartisan. Nonpartisan would be great, but when you make whether or not yeah, systemic racism and white privilege exist a partisan issue in the United States, because the United States is so politically skewed that the people we consider to be on the left of the aisle, right? Like Biden, Joe Biden, anywhere else in the world <laughs> is in the middle of the conservative side of the issues. Donald Trump, Mitt Romney, uh, fucking George W. Bush are all right wing extremists in the UK. Bernie Sanders is the close we the closest we come to having somebody on truly on the left on the the on the the liberal socialist side of things in the United States. 
And he's not even an extremist. Like, he, yeah, sure, he falls on the left side of the aisle in foreign politics, but he's not actually calling for socialism or communism. Different discussion. I don't want to get too deep into it. Um, no, I think you're actually bringing up an excellent point. Yeah, I agree entirely but you with can't you. Have, like, for two reasons, to touch on your point, you can't have apolitical or bipartisan policing in the United States because, unfortunately – the, the topic of systemic racism and how we handle it and what the solutions are has to be a political uh, discussion because the solutions for it, while they could be implemented at an individual level based on, you know, just don't be a shit ass. Um, you have to have policy. You have to have hmm. law. You have to have legislation. You have to have case law to support uh, reducing or eliminating instances of systemic racism in the United States. White privilege won't cease to exist without something being done at a governmental level not for well basically what i think i was trying to say and i did not express it that well no, think, at all did, uh, was that fine. no 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 what i mean is like too often your local politicians use the police as a tool to get the public on their side with their well, agenda I mean, fuck it's and not even local politicians. that needs to go out George, fucking donald yeah. trump's talking about deploying the national guard and that that's a whole different thing I need to touch on. Um, no, he's but, not talking about the guard. He's far active duty so, military. Different. Hey, come time hey, out. We what? We have a newcomer. He's not the guard. He wants Everybody to deploy active to duty military. Right, but he's already deployed the the Washington D.C. National Guard, and I take well, exception to this because he's the commander in chief for the Washington D.C. National Guard instead of the mayor of D.C., which makes well, me think that they're federal state. Yeah, that's because D.C. is not a state, and the statehood party in Washington, D.C. is actually gaining a lot of political ground for the next election. But that still means that as soon as the Washington, D.C. National Guard is deployed, they should be considered federalized troops, which means they should be subject to the United uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice instead of, say, the Minnesota Code of Military Justice like the Minnesota National Guard is right now. D- different point. Hi, Chewy. We've never met. Didn't realize you hopped in. Um, I fell asleep. It's my fault. The the other point I was trying to make is, as it pertains to law enforcement and politics in the United States, is that in a system where sheriffs are elected and they can deputize whoever the fuck they want based on whatever criteria they feel are necessary, you can't have. That's a nice toilet flush. um, You can't have apolitical and nonpartisan. police because in a lot of places the sheriff's department is just what you have yeah i kind of i have a lot of issues with how a lot of sheriff departments are handled mostly in very very small towns where most people are not paying attention but that as we've said several times now that's a completely completely different and very long discussion down a completely different rabbit hole all right so David, I, I think I'd, but I just I, I think um, I'd like to yield the floor to Chewy because he's you know, we're in the last half hour of the advertised time of this podcast, and he's just getting here. I didn't know if there's anything he wanted to touch on right away. Well, well, I can I can say for Chewy, he is oh, so odd he can bring way that. of looking at all this. Well, before we touch on exactly how your point of view on this might be odd, I'd like to ask you a question. Sure. And it, it might be a loaded question, but... All questions uh, are. That's fair. Uh, what do you think the chances are of Officer Chauvin <laughs> surviving to see court? In prison? Maybe that's where he is. He'll make it. 
<laughs> I mean, as long as the power do doesn't go out and the cameras don't go off, you'll be fine. <laughs> That's not even we we laugh the, about the that. Bribery. I know. We should. We welcome, really welcome should. to the millennial, welcome oh. to the millennial mindset in the United States, and even younger Dude, Gen we... Xers. Um, man, everything's just everything's funny because we expect it to be shit. You know what? We need a laugh. It's gonna come. If it's gotta come from the gallows, then it's gotta come from the gallows. Gallows humor, yeah. Um, My whole thing is, I agree with everybody's outrage with everything that's going on right now. I am the majority in the world. I am straight white man. I have all the power, all the privilege, and all the bullshit. But I'm also marginalized as in I am somewhat of a law enforcement entity because I deal with incarcerated individuals. And yes, we're not police. Yes, we don't deal with that type of stress. And we're not in the public. But nobody's happy to see a correctional guard and nobody's happy to see a fucking cop. When it comes to uses of force, I've watched the video. In their police academy or use of force matrix, they are at the lowest level of their use of force, which is body weight manipulation and holding him down. If you look at all four cops, you've got one on the legs, one on the hip, one on the mid back, and he's on the upper back. And he's basically, it's a hang, hang on. Even that, he is knee that is on his neck should be on his shoulder blade, but he's got both legs on the man. This is a. Uh, and he's, he, there was no reason to stay on the man as long as they did. They never disengaged. And, but at the same time, we never see the video that put the man on the ground. You go from this the fixed wing video from a convenience store where you can see him become disorderly. And the next thing you see is them on top of him. Okay. Now, from my point of view as a correctional officer, I deal with disgruntled, unhappy intoxicated people all the time. Last Friday morning at two o'clock in the morning, me and four guys dumped a individual on his head because I attempted to de-escalate the situation. Individual was high. Granted, I know it's not the same rodeo, but the individual was high. I brought him into an area after you know, I threatened to kill him. Oh, to get his attention mm. because he's under the influence of some homemade hmm. chemical that came to him in the fucking mail. He's walking towards me at two o'clock in the morning in a bathroom where I'm in the bathroom by myself with the only implement that I have to protect myself with is a can of gas. I get the individual to realize who I am, what I am, and where I am. 
I get him to turn around. I get him to put get him to put handcuffs. I take him from a off camera area to a on camera area for my safety and his. Me and three other officers have to push him down the wall. Basically, we foot sweep him, hold his body weight, set him down on the floor. I take a pair of leg restraints, go to put it on his feet, because if he does become combative, I don't want to get kicked in the fracking face. As soon as I get the leg shackles on him, he doesn't understand what's completely going on, so he reacts in a startled manner. So he tries to kick me and another officer in the face. So I step on the shackles to keep his legs from kicking. Is that an approved DOC maneuver? No, because it can cause damage to the person on him or to him because metal around legs. But it's the safest maneuver for me so I don't get kicked in the grill trying to hold his fucking legs down. If I'm being honest, the only problem, the only exception I can take with this is your reasoning for and the action taken to threaten that you're going to kill him. Like, man, I don't know about you, but if somebody tells me they're going to kill me and I've got any reason to believe that they might have a motive and the means to accomplish that threat, uh, one of us is coming out of this alive. Well, I'll put it to you this way. Have you ever walked inside of a prison? I have not. Um, Jail? No. Really bad part of fucking town at two o'clock in the morning with nothing on you. Uh, with nothing on me? No, never. Okay. Take those three areas, put them in your head. Now add one crackhead. Okay. What? What's the first thing you're going to do with one crackhead walks towards you? You're going to try to bolster your defense of your position and your anger to possibly bluff your way out of the situation. Motherfucker, you take one more goddamn step to me. I'm going to do everything in my power to fucking kill you. Try me. Okay. So in the civilian sense that you are presenting this argument, I have trouble taking exception to it. In the context of doing your job as a correctional officer in a position of power in a U.S. prison system that's got its problems that we should probably do a whole episode on exploring. Oh, I agree with you. Um man at the very best case scenario it doesn't make you look good you know what i mean like no i'm that's the point i'm trying to make even though i'm doing everything to try to get the individual's attention to de-escalate the situation back i give him fifth like 10 verbal commands to stop walking back up stop inmate motherfucker one more i'm fit to kill you he understood a threat. Something's wrong. I do Sorry. want to point out real quick, Chewy, because you weren't here for this part, yeah, yeah. Uh, for some context into the conversation. But literally when this first began, before like two uh, connection boots <laughs> issues we had, uh, Nick did point out, and uh, I'm virtually quoting him when I say this here, that up until the moment where the police officer confirmed that the man no longer had a pulse, it was def- everything they did was legally defensible. Yeah. And they're going to get off. 
But one more. Let me finish my little lovely weak rant and point. I moved the individual from once I got him into a position where I could cuff him with zero force used, moved him to an area which I knew had a camera just because if he did become combative, I wanted some kind of evidential proof that I was not aggressive. I was non-physical and I would have Hmm. to utilize that camera to defend me and my other employees actions. Right. And this has the side benefit of defending him in the case where there is some kind of misconduct on the part of you or your other correctional officers. I can't argue with that action. What I'm trying to say is that I don't like, I, I, having not been in that situation, having never worked in any capacity in the correctional system in the United States and having never been a party to it, I have trouble accepting that motherfucker. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to kill you is an acceptable thing to do. Well, the, the reason why it becomes acceptable is not an acceptable reason. It's just like policing and prison. It becomes to a point of violent action equals calm. I work in a prison. A prison is governed by violent mm. acts. It has a lot of violent people in it, and sometimes violence and an extreme use of force or extreme show of force. Let me say it that way is the only way you can get someone's attention. I don't know how many times I have walked out on the floor and inmates would be running their mouth, talking, blah, 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 blah. And I'm trying to get their attention to have a group conversation with them to try to impart some information of what will be going on in the building that afternoon. And I always prefer to talk to an incarcerated individual as a human being before I treat them like a piece of shit. And it usually starts out with, fellas, hey guys, gentlemen, listen up. Motherfuckers, shut the fuck up or y'all ain't gonna fucking like it in here tonight. Everybody twitches on, turns around, and I get everybody's attention. Because the violent act or threat of violent act got everybody's attention. Policing and corrections go hand in hand. And one thing is you start out idealistic. I've been doing this for 15 years. You become jaded somewhere around the middle. And towards the end of your career, you just want to survive it. It does. And it's, it's an unfortunate reality. Sounds like the military. Unfortunately, like having never been there. Right. I, I'm judging you from an outsider's perspective and I freely admit it. I can't, yeah, I, can't I, I, I can't imagine a situation I, or, I, I can't imagine a situation or a world in which it is acceptable, especially with the current state of the prison system in the United States. I'm, I'm one of those people that believes we over prosecute and over incarcerate for a lot of shit that people don't need to be in prison for, especially not for as long as they're in prison for them. Um, well, it's a prime example of why this gentleman died. Twenty dollar bill. Who gives a fuck? I mean, it's worthy of pursuit, but it's not worthy of the reaction. If he's resisting arrest, that's one thing. But, I mean, we touched on it earlier. The, the officer. But he was. 
that's debatable because we don't have any video of him resisting arrest. There is one video. It's a silent fixed wing of the convenience store where they walk him across the street. As he goes to be placed in the car, you see him drop down to the ground. They pick him up. They open the door and then another cop car turns around to go over there to help. And as it pulls in and blocks the side view, you can literally see the man jumping up and down. You can see his head bobbing two to three inches above the car where he's hopping around. All right. And then that cuts off and then they go to the everybody's on his back. Well, that was my point of we don't have a continuous point A to point B video. And that's fair. But even if he did become combative, when you get him on the ground and you get body weight on him, there's no reason other than. Hey, man, you're screaming and hollering and acting a fool. So I'm going to put my knee on your neck to make you more uncomfortable. So eventually you'll shut up. Well, that ain't, the, a, that ain't the point of a neck restraint. Um, Pardon? That's not the point. Is The point of a neck restraint is not to make him more uncomfortable. The point of a neck restraint is because if you're holding this motherfucker's head on the ground, he ain't getting up. <laughs> 